I got to tell you guys about this this thing that happened yesterday. Um, my wife has convinced me to uh, to run, you know, for uh, what do you call that? Exercise. Okay. Not be uh, such a fat piece of shit. So we we did this thing. Uh, we're part of this this running thing called Wings, and it's in like rural parts of Oklahoma, um, but it's free. Uh, you just have to drive, you know, an hour plus sometimes so we went and we uh, we did this run and i'm not saying i'm a great runner <laughs> and i crushed all records you're not saying that steven i'm not saying that mm-hmm. okay i'm not saying steven i'm not saying okay. it okay Shit. i'm not i'm not saying it but have you you i heard you've won a lot of records or beat a lot of records and won trophies. Oh, this is so unexpected. Yeah, I guess you know I'm pretty good at it, but um, but yeah. So no, I, I did terribly. But the uh, the the main reason for the story is when we were driving back from Disney, Oklahoma, um, oh. which I, I didn't even know was a thing. <laughs> the the long lost park of, of Walt Disney's <laughs> yeah. vast fortune. Uh huh. Um, that's where they send all of the old, like, shitty mascot costumes. Nice. It's, it's haunting, really. Um, but on our way back, we were driving in. You know, we had the, the satellite radio going. My wife was telling me about uh, a, a, our, our shared hairdresser. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Naturally. And, yeah, and we had the GPS on. And uh, all of a sudden, when we were, like, driving, evidently there was, like, a hazard uh, up the, the road a little bit. And... Uh, we hear, and we both stop and we look at each other and we're like, what just happened? Because it sounded like the Russians hacked into our <laughs> conversation and like Stranger Things we're 3. really trying to chip in. And we're yeah. like, I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> so a little bit later, it happens again, and I figured out what it was. So whenever I use navigation, I use the Waze app, and uh-huh. they occasionally have like celebrity voices that you can <laughs> use on there for certain... <laughs> In uh, uh, certain directions. Uh-huh. And I forgot that last weekend when she did a different race in downtown Tulsa, <coughs> I, uh, I changed it to that celebrity voice, and that's what I was hearing. But it was weird because the celebrity I chose were the Sesame Street characters. So oh, it was okay. Cookie Monster. He <laughs> <laughs> was trying to tell me where to go. But unexpected, and, uh, like you forgot about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so... <laughs> He was like, oh, turn left, yum, nom, 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 nom. <laughs> like he was actually eating cookies during the thing. So it was bizarre. It was Fantastic. Bizarre, but, uh, yeah, enjoyable once we figured out what it was and we weren't living in a nightmare world. So <laughs> You played yeah. yourself. That's good. I actually, uh, fun fact, I actually lost my virginity in a Cookie Monster t-shirt. <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> I think I've heard you mention. Whenever that Cookie Monster comes up, regardless of context or children or adults involved, I always bring that up. You're like, so. by the way, <laughs> hey, since we're all gathered here at this Chuck E. Cheese, uh, let me let me tell you about that. Yeah, it's put me into some bad situations, but it's a it's a fun anecdote, so I bring it up. Man, that's special. Yeah, it's something yeah. you remember for all time. You know, I think that's I still good. have the shirt. I'm pretty sure we saved it. Um, so yeah, she signed it. It was cool. <laughs> yeah, I think that's. I think that's framed hanging up on a wall behind you. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I see properly. So it's an important piece of the Hopkins heritage. So <laughs> keep it the forefront. You pass it down to your son. Yeah. And so he on. Wears sure. it. It's like the phantom, but for losing your virginity. <laughs> <laughs> the virgin who walks. <laughs> awesome. Hey, uh, Stephen, should we yeah. uh, should we just roll into it? I think? think we should. And I don't have my script up right now. And you think I'd remember this, but we're doing it. I'm Stephen. <laughs> 
I'm Brent Resner. Uh, thank you for <laughs> being with us today. Everybody loved that one. Um, that was just somebody opening a soda in the background. Uh, so uh, welcome to Let's Talk About Stuff. Uh, today we're going to discuss the 1994 Nine Inch Nails album, The Downward Spiral. And joining us today, the other voice you heard about Cookie Monster virginity uh, was uh, David Hopkins of Erie International and Hideous Energy fame. David, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I was seven, uh, let's say 50% sure we were recording. So I was like, this Cookie Monster <laughs> thing is either going to be for you guys or for everyone. <laughs> either, way, either way, I'm okay with it. I've probably told okay. it on Hideous Energy, so that's fine. So, thanks for having me on. I've been looking forward to this for weeks uh, after you asked me to come on and been enjoying the show lately, listening to it, trying to catch up. So, yeah, oh, yeah pretty thanks. excited. Yeah. I actually have a little list of notes of... Uh, things I wanted to say that I said out loud from last episode while I was listening oh, to it that you guys couldn't hear, but I was like, I'm going to be on there in like three days. I'm just going to write these down. And uh, so I'll have some really uh, not on topic uh, comments for you in a little bit uh, from awesome. your last oh, okay. episode. <laughs> okay. I look forward to that. Yeah. Uh, so you are actually the first um, person that we've, whose voice we've had on the show before but in an actual guest capacity this way, because uh, you and the uh, terror table, uh, yeah, uh, you and the, the rest of the Erie guys in terror table oh, yeah. um, have been on uh, a couple of episodes um, with us, for us. Oh, yeah, we did us. the pop culture <laughs> combat thing, right? For the, I forgot about that. For Freddy Krueger and Jason, I think it was. Jason, yeah. 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 That was good. Yeah, that and uh, you helped us out on the uh, one of our April Fool's Day episodes. So yeah, we we appreciate that. That was kind of against um, us. Yeah, I think. Yeah, we we <laughs> will eventually take your notes and just <laughs> do, <laughs> do the show about uh, uh, you know Oreos and, and things of the nature. So mm. seems like a more profitable way to go. I think we felt so. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Are we supposed to make profit with this, Brent? Is that the goal? Because we I, are not. We got to do right. something. <laughs> yeah, this SoundCloud thing is insane, but uh, it is what it is. Um, so, so David, uh, tell us a little bit about Erie International. Um, you know, I've, I've heard the show, but just in case any of our listeners don't listen, uh, what's, what's the, the idea behind your, your podcast? Sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a horror podcast, um, specifically the kind of horror podcast that talks about horror stuff. So not a uh, hmm. uh, creepy pasta <laughs> knife point type. Because a lot of people, not a lot of people, I've had people assume like, oh, you guys do like creative horror fiction. And it's like, no, it's hmm. not one of those. It's um, more so just kind of like a pop culture thing. It's a lot like Hideous Energy and your guys' show mixed together, but then... 90% of the dick and ball jokes taken out and then uh, <laughs> a sheen of horror laid out over all of it. Um, and really Sexy. it came about, yeah, it, it all came about because I um, had met different people through Hideous Energy that I'd become friends with, you included, Brent. And uh, one of those guys was Dave Roberts in the UK. Uh, and the, another one was, was Andy from Germany, who I believe Stephen has met in person. Indeed, um, yeah. We have all these like yeah, weird... Yeah, he ghosted me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I had always liked horror growing up, but not in a real diehard way. Um, if, if there was like a horror movie that people wanted to watch or like one that came out that everybody was talking about, I was always interested enough to go see it. Uh, but it wasn't like a huge passion for me um, and really in any capacity. Uh, but then I think it was 2013, 14, uh, maybe a little bit later. Uh, I, for whatever reason, got sucked in one Halloween and we did the whole like, let's watch a horror movie every day for the month of October. Um, and Amanda and I watched 31 plus movies that month of, of, of horror things. And 
it just kind of flipped a switch for me where I was like, oh, I, I want to keep doing this. I want to keep watching horror movies, and I love talking about them with people online. And one of those people was uh, was Andy. And so I had an idea to do another podcast at the time we were doing Hideous Energy Weekly. Um, and so I, I got Andy on board. And then Dave I'd always love listening to on other podcasts because he was down to talk about whatever. And I knew he didn't like horror movies, which I thought would maybe be kind of a fun angle to have somebody on there who's not a horror fan in any capacity. Uh, Andy was a yeah. horror fan growing up, um, and he's a little bit older than me, so he, you know, was growing up and seeing a lot of these, like, classic, you know, now classic franchises like Nightmare and, and Friday and all that stuff. Friday the 13th, I should say. Friday is a different franchise entirely. <laughs> and, uh, you gotta be careful. Yeah. And uh, um, I knew he would have sort of that angle, and so since one of us was in Germany, one of us was in the United States, one of us was in the U.K., we landed on Erie International, um, both as a reference to the international aspect and then also as a reference to the Erie, Indiana TV show from the awesome. 90s. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And like Hell 90% yeah. of people don't realize it's a reference to that. They just <laughs> get the international part and forget that it, there's mm -hmm. a, a thing there, which I get because Erie, Indiana was on for like, I think, a couple days and then they canceled it or something. It wasn't on very long, so... Um, so yeah, so we talk about uh, just horror stuff each week. We talk about all the horror things that we got into that week. So movies and comics, video games, music, whatever. Um, and then we have a topic each week. It's usually a movie. Sometimes we'll do like director series where we'll talk about the filmographies of specific directors. Uh, right now we're making our way through uh, the Lock and Key comic book. Uh, Brent was on that a couple weeks ago. Um, or maybe it was last week, actually. And uh, uh, yeah, so... Uh, liter literature too we do that we we kind of stumbled into that where we started to do like uh, I think it was a Stephen King book um, oh, it yeah. was the uh, the one with the lightning bolt on the cover what is the name of that book Shazam it, that's it <laughs> Captain Marvel mm -hmm. not anymore though yep. I, I still can't call him Shazam um, yeah the uh, I, I want to say redemption but that's not what it's called that's a, another Stephen King book um, anyway we, we did this newer Stephen King book on air did it kind of like chapter by chapter or it was like five chapters by five chapters because it's so long and people yeah. were really into it and we found out that we had like a new little crowd of people that showed up to listen to the podcast that just like the literary stuff and then when we oh, were done with okay. that we were like next week we're going to be talking about the second resident evil movie and all those people would leave <laughs> and be like we're not saying for that trash like we wanted to hear the literary stuff so we've kind of developed like two smaller audiences uh which has been really cool so then we've had on like a lot of the kind of more current literary horror authors like uh, John Langan and uh, Laird Barron and those guys and and that sort of crowd. And so it's weird. We ha we hear from different listeners at different times, depending on what we're doing, because there's people that That's kind of drift in and out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was way too long of an explanation of what it is. But it's uh, if you go to eerieinternational.com, it'll take you to our page on Fan Off, who hosts our show, and you can find all of our episodes there. Awesome. Awesome. Um, one other thing I, I definitely have to mention is that uh, you are a working professional comic book letterer. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about that and that, that process? Because we have a lot of appreciation for letterers on this show. Mm -hmm. I've talked to Steven about it, and uh, I forced him to pay attention to it. <laughs> yes, um, Britt does, and he's making me have a lot of respect for letterers. <laughs> <laughs> like, 70% of the LTAS logo is lettering. True. Uh, is it very basic? Yes, of course. But uh, we, we do appreciate it. So uh, tell us a little bit about your uh, your journey as a letterer. Yeah, for sure. And I really appreciate you guys um, not just talking about lettering, but also being so supportive of me. I mean, Brent has supported me in a huge way for a really long time, um, kind of just behind the scenes. 
Um, and I, there was a handful of people that I called when I switched to um, full, doing lettering full-time, and Brent was on that list. And I think for all the people that I called, they were sort of not taken aback, but just kind of like, uh, you're welcome. I feel like I didn't do anything, but like, <laughs> <laughs> sure. But they didn't really necessarily realize that um, there's that whole quote from Kevin Smith that people have adapted and even into comics where it's that whole thing of like, you know, support artists. Like you, you have no idea. You, you gain nothing by not supporting an artist and not supporting people's, you know, mm-hmm. creative pursuits. And you gain everything potentially by doing that. And it can mean so mm-hmm. much to them. And Brent, you've been one of those people for me for a long time that when I was just sort of trying to figure this stuff out, you were so supportive. So you guys on the show as well have mentioned me a couple of times. It's been really cool and, and humbling to hear. But yeah, I... I started, uh, I, I won't go back and go through everything, but uh, Brent and I mm-hmm. first met um, doing a, a webcomic called Super Cute, and back then Super we needed cute. a letterer, and, <laughs> and <laughs> I bought a book about lettering, and I was interested in lettering at the time, um, but didn't know how to do it, and uh, for, I think, all of Super Cute, still probably you could argue I didn't know how to do it, uh, but it was, <laughs> it was a fun thing because... Um, it, it gave us something to do every single week. So I would get new art from Brett yeah. and I would have to, I would have to figure it out. I'd have to figure out how mm-hmm. to do the lettering. And it grew from being this sort of like fun little thing that we did, this sort of side thing from the podcast into its own webcomic presence. And similar to how Erie had different audiences, we had different audiences for uh, Hideous Energy and for uh, Super Cute. And for a long time, our business cards were double sided and it had Super Cute on one side and Hideous Energy on the other. And uh, it grew into being, you know, a, a pretty fun and consistent webcomic. Um, and then for me, lettering was like this hobby that I did. And it was just like if there were um, anthologies that were doing stuff and people working for free, I was like, yeah, it's totally fine. I'll do it. I just like doing it. I like learning. Um, and I started to make a little bit of money at it here and there. Um, I got an internship, if you want to call it that, uh, at Blue Water, which is a pretty infamous comic book company um, Mm -hmm. for, you know, being shady, I think is probably the thing they're most known for. Uh, They do biography comic books. Um, My experience there was totally fine. I I always, you know, frame that and, and, and explain that because... Um, I know Darren Davis, the CEO, publisher, whatever, everything. He runs the place. He was very kind to me, uh, was very supportive of me, and, um, you know, basically told me up front, like, I can't pay you, but, you know, this this can be kind of an internship type deal. I can give you comics to letter each month, which for me at the time was exactly what I wanted and was looking for and um, was totally fine. Eventually, he did start paying me a bit for each issue, not a whole lot. Uh, but some, and he was always upfront about that too. Where he was like, look, I can only pay this much. And so I always knew what was going on. And I use that a lot for people that are coming up um, that because there's this sort of thing that all artists like to say, and not all artists, but many, which is, you know, never work for free. And in my experience, like, mm-hmm. you know, that's great. And if it's possible to not work for free and you get paid right out the gate, that's awesome. It's not really the reality, I think, for a lot of people. And in, in mm-hmm. some situations like mine, no one's going to pay me for that work that I was doing at the beginning because it was garbage. It was really bad. (laughs) So I didn't have confidence or the talent at that point or the experience to say like, Hey, this is worthy of pay. So the thing I always tell people is just make sure you know what you're getting into. For me, blue water, I knew what I was getting into. And, uh, eventually that led to, I I kind of view that as my whole like 10,000 hours thing. in a lot of ways was a lot of that time. Mm -hmm. I was just churning out tons. I, I tallied it up at some point, and I think I lettered like two or three thousand pages at Blue Water um, wow. during my time there. And I was just doing everything I could to try new things and to learn stuff and figure out how to do sound effects. And um, there was a lot I, I didn't know by the end of it, but there was a lot I had kind of figured out. 
And um, yeah, so all I'm already making this too long. I'll kind of speak through the rest of it. This is fascinating. I'm no, I'm <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like this journey. <laughs> um, I ended up doing. Uh, there was a comic book called Johnny Hero that I was a huge fan of. Um, yes. Yeah. Hell yeah. Fred Chow is the is the dude who does that book, and uh, we had discovered it at a uh, C2E2 one year comic book convention in Chicago, and I was just fascinated by this book. I'd never heard of it. Uh, I found it in a, a box and at a retailer booth. And it was called Johnny Hero, Half Asian, All Hero. Um, and it was this, like, really fun, funny, kind of off-the-wall book about this this uh, young Half Asian, All Hero man named Johnny who is, uh, is living in New York and has this sort of combination of, like, slice-of-life, day-to-day, um, early, mid-20s life challenges. But then Fred Chow would throw in other stuff where it was, like, you know, dinosaurs and robots attacking <laughs> the city and, and really sort of crazy bombastic stuff. And I had emailed him and uh, was basically like, look, man, I love this book. I think it's so good. I was working in a comic book shop at the time. So I was, you know, pushing the owner, like, you got to stock this book. Like, I'll make sure all the copies get sold. Like, I, I love this thing. And he ended up coming on to Hideous Energy at the time. We interviewed him and really connected with him. And he and I developed kind of a friendship um, over email, where we would email each other back and forth and just say like, hey, this album's awesome, or check this comic out. And uh, at that point, I had done enough work that I had some stuff online that I would post on social media and stuff. And his, he was doing the second volume of Johnny Hero, and his letter uh, couldn't do it. And he called me, I was at my day job, and he called me and was like, hey, um, would you want a letter volume two? And it's the only time in my life, or one of the only times, maybe there's like two or three times total, where I had that moment where like your knees go weak, where you kind of are like, uh, you feel like you're gonna fall over. And that was one of them, sitting in the hallway of this this corporate business office I worked at. And I was terrified. I, I said yes, but I was just in my head, I was like, I can't do this. But I, I knew I couldn't pass it up. And there were plenty of things during that process where he would be like, hey, can you do this effect? Or can you do this thing on the text like we did in volume one? And which I had read volume one tons of times. So I always knew what he was talking about. But 90% of the time, I had no idea how to do that stuff on the page. Hmm. And I didn't want to show that. So I would always be like, oh, yeah, totally. I got it. And then I would run to YouTube and Google and start trying to figure out how to do that (laughs) stuff. I I didn't want to let him know I was the wrong person for the job. And I stumbled my way through that book um, and figured it out. And that was in 2013. That was the first thing I had published where it was like it was through Tor um, imprint of Macmillan. So it was like a bigger publisher. And um, that uh, eventually caught the attention of uh, another letter named Darren Bennett, who uh, has always been one of my, my favorite letters, current letters working in comics now. And he has a studio out of New Jersey called Anne World Design. They do lettering and design, and he has a staff of letters there. And he was in the earlier stages of it. And um, we worked on a, an anthology together, and he saw my work and emailed me and said, hey, would you be interested in, in working doing some work for me um and i said yeah absolutely i had had times before that where i had reached out to other letters either to say like hey um if you need like an assistant or if you need someone to help you letter this i'll do it for free i just want to learn i'm trying to find ways to learn from people who have more experience etc and i was either ignored or in one particular particularly memorable instance (laughs) Uh, blocked, and then that person subtweeted about me saying I was uh, <laughs> insane to try to bother them, all this kind of stuff. So I was oh, like, wow. okay, I guess this is an industry where you just kind of do your own thing and leave people alone. So I was scared to ever approach other letters because hmm. I had had these bad experiences. So I didn't ask Darren, but I think he sensed that any time he gave me feedback, 
I was like as attentive as possible. Like, yes, 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 this is great. Please take me. I didn't mean to do a uh, Bill Hader. What's that character on SNL? Oh, yeah, uh, Stefan. <laughs> Stefan, I accidentally yeah. just put my hands together. I went, yes, 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 yes. Um, But it was like, I was so eager. Like, yes, please teach me this stuff. I'm so interested. I want to get better. And so he, he offered one night. He was like, hey, would you want to do like weekly sessions where we meet on like Sunday nights and I teach you what I know. Uh, you can ask me questions about what you want to know, and I can help you kind of get to the next level. And I was like, I, I had tears in my eyes. I was like, please, yes, that's at that point. <laughs> that's I had awesome. Been, that's awesome. I had been lettering by myself uh, for years. I, I didn't know any other way. So to have somebody who, A, I respected, B, I thought was insanely talented, and C, was willing, like approaching me to say, mm-hmm. like, I can help teach you, um, was like a dream situation for me. So. Um, yeah, I got connected with him, learned everything I could. I, Darren has become like a, one of my close friends. Uh, I talk to him every single day. Um, he mentored me for a really long time, still does. Um, and, and yeah, I just, I'm, I'm super connected and with that studio. And uh, yeah, after that, it just became one of those things where it was like I, I stopped working for free little by little. I started doing more and more stuff with a page rate, started doing more and more stuff where it was, um, oh, we want to have you do a miniseries or a graphic novel, you know, bigger and better things. Connections started happening, um, you know, meeting other people through other things. And the comic book industry is so small and connected anyway that, like, for example, right after Johnny Hero, I lettered a graphic novel about the Island of Misfit Toys, the, the Rankin-Bass Rudolph thing. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And that was for a writer back then uh, who uh, was connected to me through Fred, through Chow. And so he now is the CEO of a company that I letter a lot of books for and actually wasn't even he, I wasn't brought into this new company through him. It was through another thing. But it's just like <laughs> uh, when I saw his yeah. name, yeah, I saw him at a con. I was like, hey, man, I lettered these books. And he was like, oh, cool. And I was like, I also lettered your Island of Misfit Toys graphic novel. And his eyes lit up. He was like, you're David C. Oh. Hopkins. That's what I went by back then. <laughs> he was like, that's my favorite thing I've ever done. Like, he had a copy of it in his backpack. And he was like, can you that sign it? Awesome. Like, it's my favorite thing. So it's, <laughs> this stuff is so connected. And I think once kind of the momentum starts happening, you start meeting people, it leads to more and more stuff. So I, I had always sort of had this idea of, like, maybe my dream would be maybe someday I can get a part-time job and letter and kind of do both things. Um, and we had a, uh, my wife and I had a son three years ago. And so that definitely added to that tour. It was like, I can't do this full time. I've got a kid. I need to make sure insurance is sorted mm-hmm. out, et cetera. And uh, maybe a year or two ago, Darren started not pressuring me, but he would every once in a while kind of be like, why aren't you doing this full time? You know, why, why are you, why do you still have your day job? And um, I would tell him, you know, like, well, I'm worried about insurance. I'm worried about money everything else like i don't know if i if it's a smart move i told him i was like if if it was just me i would have been living on ramen and water and lettering comics a long time ago like it but i i've got too much you know concern i want to make sure i'm providing for my my son and and you know i don't want to say for my wife because she's a working capable adult professional too has a job (laughs) so she doesn't need me but you know just my family in general and wanting to be there and he started kind of helping me figure some of that stuff out uh, and yeah, long story short, even though this has been a long story, things have worked out to where we figured out all of those little details and looked at the money. Uh, a big sort of 
uh, thing that was great. And I say this in case there's anyone listening, whoever wants to move into doing self-employed, like creative work, make sure sooner than later you look into how you have to figure out your taxes. Cause one of the, mm, yeah. the biggest ways I found out that maybe I could do it full time was when we did our taxes and they were like, Hey, yeah, you owe like thousands to the IRS because you haven't been doing your <laughs> quarterly payments. And I was like, quarterly payments, we're doing that now. This is taxing. Like, this is how we do taxes, right? And they were like, no, 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 no. You're self-employed. Like, you have to do this stuff. And so when I saw those numbers, I was like, oh, okay, I'm making enough to where, like, this hit us. So bad situation in the moment where we had to figure out how to pay the taxes, but good situation. And then I was like, okay, I'm making enough to where I can maybe figure this out. Um, yeah, awesome. So I tell people that a lot because we got slammed one year and it sucked. Uh, mm-hmm. but we figured that stuff out too. And yeah, earlier this year, I quit my day job of eight plus years, um, and, which was a good job. So it was, it was creatively speaking, it was a soulless job. It was super yeah. corporate. <laughs> um, I worked and actually I'll, I'll tell you guys a story later about working there. I worked, our primary client was Apple. So I mm. worked on the Apple account, starting out taking like Apple tech calls, like Apple care. I did that for a long time. Uh, and then worked my way up to where I was one of the operation managers of the site. So I was running um, teams altogether. I was responsible for like 200 people. So Damn. for me, it was like probably the best job I'll ever have in my life because I, I went, you know, on the steps of making money, definitely down to making comics. Yeah. Uh, but creatively speaking, you know, from a fulfilling standpoint, just nothing there. I mean, it was very corporate, very like conference call spreadsheet type deal. Mm-hmm. And I can say this publicly now lettered thousands of comics while on conference calls at that job because I worked from home. <laughs> so I would, be on, I would be on conference calls lettering comics. I'd be on meetings lettering comics because it was from home. So they couldn't see me. Uh, and I got all my work done and they, they liked having me there. But uh, as soon as they offered at-home positions, I rushed to that because I was like, yeah, I, can do, I can letter so much more now. So, so yeah, and it's been a good year. It was very scary at first um, making that jump. It, incredibly scary. I was honestly just racked with anxiety all the time about it. Uh, but after the first couple months and kind of looking at, you know, money coming in, money going out and figuring that all out and realizing, okay, this is sustainable. I can do this. Um, it took a lot of the, the pressure off. And now the pressure is more on making sure I don't take on too much. And right now I've taken mm-hmm. on too much this past couple of weeks. <laughs> I've, I've got way too much stuff going on, but it's a weird thing. Cause you don't want to complain about it. Cause it's, it's, it's all, you know, there's no salary. So it's, it's, the same amount of money is coming out of my account every two weeks that I'm, you know, paying myself, but I have to make sure there's money going in at the same time. And it's all the same sort of hustle. Um, mm-hmm. But enough has been built up and enough connections have been made that it's working. So I still knock on wood when I talk about it. But um, yeah, it's it's been fun. And the only reason I made the explanation that long is because, Stephen, you said you were into the story. So that's the end of it. <laughs> I was into the story. And I have a follow up <laughs> question as well, sure. because. I've been curious, like Brent has really obviously gotten me into comics so much uh, over the years. He's what he's who like introduced me to them. But um, I, I grew up like drawing and stuff. I I'd still consider myself an artist, even though I don't draw yeah. very much anymore. But I didn't really understand like the lettering thing until I got into comics and like realized like Brent would also like tell me stuff, cool stuff about lettering and how that's like an art form unto itself. But I'd always wondered how did someone get into that? Like, were you an artist also, or are you an artist uh, growing up? Or you just like the lettering part of it, like that design and stuff? Yeah, it was. So I was, I was halfway through school at at Ball State through college for film production, telecommunication. So I was into Hmm. filmmaking and that, all that jazz. And so I, I always like, I always loved comics. I always read those. Um, And kind of in college, I started to get 
a deeper appreciation for graphic design specific like i think i always liked things that were designy but i didn't know that they were i just sort of mm-hmm. um like the is it piers mondrian the the steel style from the netherlands or whatever that art it, you got everyone's seen it it's like the red mm-hmm. blue and, and yellow and white squares yeah, um yeah. like i loved that stuff growing up my mom was a big like uh, art history kind of person and always had art books. So I remember gravitating toward that sort of stuff. Lichtenstein with the pop art stuff, which comic book people hate him. But for me growing up, <laughs> I loved his stuff and I loved the way it looked. And I loved the, you know, the clean lines and the colors and contrasting elements and all that. So I, I always liked that stuff. Just didn't necessarily know it was graphic design or I didn't know it was, it had a specific mm-hmm. thing to it. And then in college, yeah, I think that sort of started to gel a little bit more to where it was like oh okay i um chip kid was one of the first uh graphic designers where i started to notice his covers uh for books and comics or whatever and realized like okay there's a style here that i like and picked up on that and then because lettering you know consists so much of design and typography that i think was kind of an extension and so i started paying closer attention and like the first probably big one that really jumped out at me where I was like, okay, I, I really like what's happening here on the page. I don't necessarily know how or why things are working this way, but I know aesthetically speaking, it's, it's satisfying to me was, uh, first Pat Brosso, but then mostly Clem Robbins on Hellboy. Um, and seeing kind of the stuff that was Hellboy was and still is my favorite comic. So that was probably an easy starting point. Um, but then seeing Clem Robbins' letter, Why the Last Man, and his lettering in that is totally different, and his lettering uh, in his Preacher cool. is totally different. Some of that is the switch between, you know, old traditional analog hand lettering to digital. Um, but it was the realization that Clem was doing one thing in Hellboy and something totally different in Why the Last Man. And I think for a lot of people that's the case is they they don't... Like, it's kind of a running joke with my wife where... I'll be really excited about a new font that I, I found and it'll be a new dialogue <laughs> font and I'll show her and she'll be like, yeah, you've used that on literally every book since you started. And I'll be like, oh my gosh, no, I haven't. Like I've never used this font, <laughs> but it all, it all looks the same to people if they're uh, not paying attention to it, uh, unless it's like wildly different. Um, yeah. So I think that was kind of where my mind started to unlock a little bit to where it was starting to notice the subtle differences. And now it's like, it's a curse now because I, I was reading, um, I won't name the comic, but I was reading a comic book yesterday from a big publisher, a big title, big writer, big creative team. And there was a tail that was connected to a balloon, but they had the layers messed up so that it was underneath the balloon. So the stroke of the balloon covered the tail and I saw it and I had to set the comic down to where I was like, Oh my gosh, am I going to have to, not where I was mad, but I was uh, upset because I've made tons of mistakes. I still make mistakes all the time. So not not upset with that. And the person who lettered it is a fantastic letter. So it wasn't a uh, <laughs> like a judgment of their skill at all. But it was one of those things where it's like once your mind clicks into that, yeah. I knew I was like, can I even read the rest of this right now? Or do I need to take a break? Because <laughs> then it's hard to not see everything. Uh, so, no, not not an artist in any traditional sense at all. I've tried to explore some of that a little bit more through design and through logos and trying to become a little bit more artistic that way. Mm-hmm. Um and that stuff you really mostly just see in logos that I do. Um, I've tried to do other sort of things digitally, doing more traditional kind of art, but it, it's all it always skews very designy because I mm-hmm. I'm more comfortable there. But if you give me a, a pencil and a piece of paper, I no nothing. I can't draw. I can draw Baymax because uh, Daniel loves Baymax <laughs> from Big Hero Six, so I copied it a couple times from something. It's a pretty bad Baymax. He always is. 
either too fat or his leg or his arms are too small. Like there's always something about it that's not right. Uh, but no, <laughs> I've kind of figured out where I need to be within my, my little world and have just tried to keep it there. Yeah. That's cool though. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So have you ever tried to do hand lettering? Is that something that interests you or do you prefer does. digital? Yeah, no, definitely does. I, I've done hand lettered sound effects, uh, in books uh, I did one book that was going to be for Dark Horse, and this was kind of in the earlier days where I was uh, getting paid, but also knew enough that I was willing to do things for not for pay if there was another sort of incentive. So in this case, it was working with an artist mm-hmm. that I really liked uh, and had a good relationship with him. There was no pay uh, up front or maybe at all. I can't remember for sure, but the book was going to be picked up and published by Dark Horse. So I was like, man, Dark Horse says Hellboy, mm-hmm. like I'm totally going to do that. And, and yeah. also back then I hadn't worked with a lot of publishers. So I, that book I lettered, it was probably, I want to say close to a hundred pages. It wasn't a huge graphic novel, oh. but it was longer than a single issue. All of the sound effects in that book I hand lettered. Um, the, they ended up maybe not, there was like a, a tiff between the person, I think and someone at dark horse, there's something that happened and not a, if there's any nerdy, um, art people i don't mean a file type tiff i mean like a little argument (laughs) as soon as i said it it sounded weird um the uh there was something that went down so the the future of it being at dark horse was in question they did a kickstarter and then tragically the the head guy of the kickstarter uh just died he had he had cancer hadn't told anybody uh, other than i think like immediate family and so we had no idea the kickstarter had either just funded or was about to fund and we found out he was gone and so wow. it, it was a really crazy time trying to figure out what to do with that book and everything else. So no one has ever even seen those pages. Uh, and and uh, the lettering's rough, but the art is great. And so there ha- there are some, I always look at that thing as the one big project where I did a lot of hand lettering in. In terms mm-hmm. of actual dialogue, um, I'm trying to think. Only stuff where it's been like... Uh, <laughs> like if it needs to be something where it's like a five-year-old wrote this or something where I'm like, <laughs> I know I can make that look right, uh, both because I'm not great and also because like I can make it look, you know, a little wobbly or whatever. Um, but in terms of actual straight-up dialogue, not yet, only because um, you would have to do basically all of it hand-lettered for the most part um, to really make it look hand-lettered. It's a lot of mm-hmm. work. Uh, publishers at this point aren't going to pay you for hand lettering rates, which are much, much higher because they take way more time. What I would like to do and is still on my list to do at some point is to make a font and to hand mm-hmm. letter, you know, that stuff, obviously. So uh, hand letter each individual character and set up with the kerning and all that, all that stuff and make a font to use because we all all letters now we all work digitally. There's some letters that do stuff hand lettered if it's like a passion project like Aditya Bidikar's done. Um, he did one graphic novel called uh, Graffiti's Wall, I think is the name of it, and it's it's hand lettered. But that was just him, kind of with his friends, like he wanted to do. I think they were his friends. He's he's worked with them multiple times. Do something special. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a, uh, one or two other letters that say that they hand letter digitally, but they, I don't think they do. You're getting into you're getting into <laughs> kind of like bitchy letter fights <laughs> inside <laughs> baseball but there's the little ways that people kind of cheat it and sort of trace over stuff and, and call that hand lettering but it's not the same thing yeah. I mean hand lettering is, an, is legitimate totally I think different art than what modern digital lettering is so that's why I'm so specific in saying what I've hand lettered and what I haven't because I don't want I don't want to say like oh yeah I've hand lettered tons of stuff 
it's not the same way that you know Clem Robbins or John Workman or um, the one letter that people always know, even if they don't know lettering, Todd Klein. If the way those guys hand lettered stuff is a totally different ball game, so mm-hmm. so some stuff. Yeah, it's a, a it's a totally different ball game if you're having to figure out how to use an Ames yep. guide, uh, <laughs> which I bought last year for the 24 hour comic thing. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. by the time I got to it, I was like, I don't have the technical know how <laughs> yeah. to do this. I'm just gonna wing it, and that's what I did. But but David, 24 hour comic day is around the corner, October 5th. Yeah. So if you really want to give hand lettering a go, you know, we can we can get you set up. Yeah, I, I, that would be fun to do day. for sure. I, I, yeah. The one thing I have done is, and this is like less cool to people. Uh, this was another one of those things that I, I was almost crying with joy when I made these specific elements showed Amanda and she was like, oh, yeah, cool. Because <laughs> like, it, it didn't look any different to her. But for me, I, what, the one thing I have done is made hand lettered uh, balloons I have I have a set oh, of hand lettered cool. balloons that I've done where I t- took a long time. They're all done digitally, but I I used the pencil tool and I used everything in Illustrator to make very very small um, variations in the stroke mm-hmm. and in the fill so that they look hand lettered. Uh, so it it's not you know I, I didn't sit down with a pen and paper or whatever, but mm-hmm. I, I did it digitally. Took a lot of time making those, and that was one way I've been able to set myself apart in some ways so that. I have specific books that I can give a balloon shape and a, a style to the lettering that is unique and does look hand lettered and also no one else has, which is cool too. Other people have yeah. their versions of it. It's not like I've pioneered this or anything, but um, mm-hmm. I would love to do a 24 hour comic uh, with you. I'll drive to Broken Arrow and we'll do it. Do people <laughs> know you live there? Did I just dox you? Is that? No, it's fine. Yeah. I, I sometimes generally say Tulsa because it's, people are more familiar with that but yeah it's just me and my wife and christian slater all <laughs> hanging out here <laughs> yeah <laughs> cool but um last i believe it was last episode well i guess as of this episode's airing two episodes ago on erie international you had mentioned um a very exciting project that you're lettering for idw oh yeah um can can you discuss that a little yeah, bit yeah sure um yeah, that was <laughs> that was funny when I talked about that because I was so terrified because I, I knew it was out there. But I you never know. Like I, I get so scared mm-hmm. to talk about stuff because it's so far ahead of when things get published yeah. and announced and everything else. And you don't want to it's you don't want to say something. And then they're like, hey, you should have said that you're no longer on this project. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm lettering a this is through Anworld through the studio. Um, we, we've done some books for IDW and we have some more coming out now. Um, it's a, uh, Star Wars Adventures miniseries called, uh, Return to Vader's Castle. Um, it's a sort of sequel, I think, to the first volume, which I actually saw in print for the first time yesterday. I was at a comic book shop and they had a copy of it, which is called Tales from Vader's Castle. It's very Tales from the Crypt-esque in how it's set up. That's cool. Um, so it, you have uh, you have some characters that have like a, a framing device story at the beginning and end of each issue. And through the course of uh, the issue, someone is telling a story um, that's sometimes connected. Sometimes it's just like, here's a tale of something that happened. So in volume one, there was like an Ewok one. There was a... A Han Solo and Chewie one. Um, trying to remember the other ones. I haven't read the first volume, but I have it for reference for volume two. Uh, in volume two, we've got the first story is about is connected to Darth Maul post uh, Phantom Menace. Second issue is uh, Tarkin story. Third mm-hmm. issue is Asajj Ventress. I think is how you say her name. 
Um, I think she's a Sith. She's got two lightsabers and she looks mean, so I think she's she's bad. <laughs> uh, she's super cool though. The artist on that one I really love as well. Um, the fourth one, which I'm getting ready to letter, is uh, about Jabba, and the fifth one's about Vader. So they each have different artists for the main story that's being told. And then the framing device, the two pages at the beginning and end are done by Francesco Francavia. And he does covers as well, I think. Uh, it's all yeah. written by uh, Callum. What's his name? Um, I just followed him on uh, Twitter, so I can pull it up right here. He's, I, I didn't know this until later, but he's because I don't follow stuff as much as I as I used to. Um, he is the one of the like new architects. They, they gave some sort of new name. Cavan mm-hmm. Scott, C-A-V-A-N. Um, mm. I think he has it in his bio. Part of Lucasfilm's Project Luminous. So they hmm. they got a bunch of writers together to sort of spearhead a lot of their expanded universe stuff. Um, so okay. they have like they all work in tandem, I think, on their own projects, but together. So like, uh, uh, Brent, you're gonna have to help me. Who's the dude? We had him on Hideous Energy one time. He's uh, he mm-hmm. wrote Daredevil. Um, he wrote that book about oh Frank Miller. Yeah. <laughs> he wrote, no, <laughs> he wrote he wrote that book about the president gives the new president a letter, and in the in the letter it's like, hey, there's aliens. Good luck. Oh, Charles. Charles Soul. Soul. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Uh, he's one yeah. of them. Um, and so they okay. they kind cool. of work together as sort of like the new canon, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's a pretty fun series. It, each, like I said, each issue is a new blast of art, and IDW has a specific sort of lettering style. But still, within that, I found ways that I can kind of um, have some fun with with each artist style. And yeah, it's been really fun. I told Brent the Star Wars aspect of it is crazy and very exciting. Uh, but kind of the, the geekiest part and like a fun way for me has been able to letter over Frank Avia's art, who's been one of my favorite artists since college. So awesome. seeing those pages come in was, was pretty crazy. Yeah. Frank Avia does a lot of art for like Mondo and, yeah. and, okay. uh, just like general, like comics, like cover work and whatnot. So, uh, just, just hearing that you get to work on a Star Wars book, um, was very exciting to me because I know what a fan you are of that that yeah you were the one of the first people i i told about once i was able to talk about it um because right away i was like brent's gonna get gonna get this because if i tell other i mean it's one of those things when you work in something so nerdy when you were a fan first like people get Mm -hmm. it but some people really get it like if i (laughs) if i tell amanda it's a star wars book she's excited and supportive for me but if i tell brent you know, I know Brent's going to send back a, a lot of gifts and <laughs> uh, <laughs> some emojis. Well, it, it's like when you told me that you were going to letter that Darkwing Duck book, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, my pants exploded <laughs> off of my body. Yeah, I was too. so excited. <laughs> so, yeah, it's pretty fun. That, that's awesome. Uh, well, I am uh, I'm very much looking forward to to reading that because uh, I'm just excited for you. And then the, the book itself sounds great as well. So it's uh, very exciting. So listeners, keep your eyes peeled for that. Does that come out in is it October? It's pretty quick because the first issue or two is done and off. And I it's weekly. So, yeah, I would imagine if it hasn't hit this coming week, it'll be start of October because it's a weekly weekly deal, um, okay. which is cool. It's also very, it's way harder to letter <laughs> because everybody, <laughs> sure. everybody's moving very quickly and at the same time, and it's five different teams. The only constant being the writer and the uh, and the letter, and then Frank Avia on his pages. So it's pretty chaotic, yeah. but it's it's been going well. Interesting. And yeah, once it starts coming out, you'll get it each week until it's done. 
Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um, so, David, you had mentioned that you had some comments on our, <laughs> our last episode. Do you want to get into those now, or do you yeah, yeah, want to sure. wait till... I'll make it fast, because okay. I know we have a lot to talk about. Um, it was more just me... What did we do no, wrong? No, you did nothing. <laughs> you did nothing wrong. Um, I... Man, now I don't remember what this note is. All it says is boner of an angel. I think maybe <laughs> I think maybe Steven said that and I thought it was funny, so I wrote it down. So some of these notes might not make a lot of sense. Oh, man, that's uh, amazing. All right, second note. Um, I absolutely loved when I was a kid. I think it was, Brent, you were talking about how you your family, uh, this resonated with me because I was very much the same way, where you're like, your family didn't have the money to get specific games and like the holy grail mm-hmm. for you was darkwing duck nes uh, on the nes yeah um it just flashed me back so hard because my family was the exact same way and when i was a kid i would get so excited when i would get sick when i would have like the flu or like be throwing up because i knew that meant that my <laughs> parents would go like and 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 i don't know if these supermarkets are as prevalent where you guys live but uh we lived in michigan at the time in meyer would have grocery store you could go there and rent a a console for like two days with games so we had no money but my parents would rent me so like i have (laughs) distinct memories of them renting a sega genesis and me playing sonic spinball because that was the only sonic game they had which i still (laughs) love but yeah yeah, but it's like not sonic it's like a pinball game yeah (laughs) Um, and then the other time i was (laughs) daniel just opened the door screamed at me with a t-rex on his hand and then closed the door um oh my god that's the best way to do it the and then one time yeah an nes and it was with darkwing duck so it was pretty awesome it's also uh, just a straight up Mega Man clone <laughs> so if you play yeah. Mega Man, it's the same game uh i'm fine with that i wrote down melrose place and i'm not sure why um you guys I talked about talking it. about melrose place yeah yeah i don't remember yeah, why i, I wrote it up, down yeah. So let's keep going. Um, you love it. You love it as well. Is that why I've you're never a huge seen fan? it? That might be why. I, <laughs> yeah. I'm lettering a book for Boom now called Ghosted in L.A. And like the log line mm-hmm. that they used for it and a lot of things is like it's uh, it's like spooky Melrose Place, which is what I tell okay. people when they ask about it. I've never uh, seen Melrose Place. I think I'm too young, maybe. <laughs> so I've been telling people that for that book, having no idea what it means other than I, I mean, think it's people in a house, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, it's like a it's like a weird apartment complex that's all like uh, there's like a courtyard in the middle, so they're all like oh, okay. always passing each other, always in their business. Right. So like that sounds good to me as like a, a horror version of that or whatever. Yeah, well that's exactly that. what this comic is. So it makes sense that, that they describe it that, that way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because there's a courtyard. Uh, it's not cool, horror. Yeah. It's but it is spooky. Like it's uh, so I guess the Melrose Place part is inhabited by ghosts, and then the main character okay. is a human. So yeah, that cool sounds one. awesome. I'm down with that. Yeah, yeah check it Very out. Cool. It's good. Uh, Brent got some heat for mentioning maybe not some heat but uh, I think maybe you were a little self-conscious about bringing up um, the mascot of 7up having his own video game uh, cool spot I believe (laughs) cool spot Uh, yeah I remembered that first of all and then second right away I was like I wonder if he remembers the yo noid video game the dominoes mascot (laughs) holy shit Uh, yeah I remember playing that wasn't that like super hard? Yeah, very hard. hard. I have a memory of that being yeah, hard. It was extremely hard. And I think it was another game that they basically just changed the assets to make it domino stuff. Like it was another <laughs> Japanese game. Uh, but my favorite of all time tie in product placement game uh, came in a box of cereal. And I've met one other person in my life who has played this game. My friend Sean from high school. And I just found this. I've known Sean since I was 16. I found out literally like last week that he knew this game. Oh, that's too. awesome. Uh, <laughs> checks. Did a, a they had a CD in the box of a game called Chex oh, wow. Quest, 
and <laughs> I played this game so much. It was a straight up because Doom back in the day was like shareware, freeware, or whatever. So it was uh-huh. it was a straight up Doom clone, and oh my you God. ran around and you shot these slime monsters with checks. You were like a little checks like space marine. And then when okay. you ra- when you ran like I think in Doom when you run out of ammo you have like a chainsaw or something um, as your like melee weapon. Mm-hmm. In the Chex Quest game you have like a little spoon that you poke at people <laughs> inside a little like dull spoon. But I, I found out years later because I had a memory of it and I looked it up. It survived until like three years ago through like fan communities that wow. continued to like oh, wow. build levels and like make new games. And it was that's li- hilarious. It, there was no internet for you to like. I mean, there's AOL, but. There was no way, like, it came in a box in the cereal, and it was a CD, and you put it in and played it. Like, it was that straightforward. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing, this is probably the most emotionally uh, near to my heart. You guys <laughs> talked a lot about the Mortal Kombat soundtracks, which yeah. I, I sign off on all that. 10 out of 10, that's great. Um, but <laughs> yeah. another thing that a lot of people don't remember is, or maybe maybe that they don't remember, is that they were never made aware because <laughs> it wasn't popular, <laughs> was they did a soundtrack to the game. And it was called Mortal Kombat the album, and yes, it, do you remember this? Okay, my my friend Ross had it, yeah, because I had bought like the I think maybe the the original Mortal Kombat like movie soundtrack, and then Annihilation, mm-hmm. and then he was like, oh yeah, that's cool, and <laughs> I remember him going to the going to like the CD store yep. at the time and coming back with a video game soundtrack, and he was like, yeah, this sucks. Did you? Okay, <laughs> so that's probably it. So it's, it is not what you would think. A lot of people now when you hear video game soundtrack, because especially they put a lot of time and work into soundtracks, and they did back uh-huh. then too, uh, but they release them now. Like I have The Last of Us soundtrack on vinyl, because I'm that person, but Mondo did like a big four you know, LP vinyl thing, but it's like Gustavo Centaya or whatever his name is. Like it's a beautiful soundtrack. Back then, not the soundtrack to the game, they took the band, the Immortals, who did the theme song for the movie, and they had them do individual songs for each character. Full, <laughs> full with lyrics. These songs have lyrics, and they're all that sort of like 90s techno trash pop stuff. Oh my stuff. god. Um, I've, again, met one person in my life, one friend who remembers it, also named Sean, strangely enough, but a different Sean, and uh, it's it seriously like, we still quote it to this day, because like, the Sub-Zero one is called Chinese Ninja Warrior. Uh, prepare yourself as Sonya Blades. And they have like... I, yeah, that one That one specifically I remember. It's like, I'm Sonya Blade. Yeah, dun, you've dun, heard that. You know exactly yeah. what it is. I'm Sonya Blade, so be prepared. I'll knock you right out of here. It's so weird. (laughs) It's not on Spotify. It's not on iTunes. It is on YouTube. Uh, I highly recommend people seek it out because I I remember we moved. I grew up in South America, so we moved to Brazil when I was nine. It was the week I turned nine. And I remember sitting with it. I had bought it, hadn't listened to it yet. I'm on the plane. I wait until we're in the air so I can turn on my my Discman, which also came up in the last episode, and put the CD in, close it, put on my headphones, and start playing it. The first track is the theme, so I'm like, all right, this is exactly what I wanted. Yeah. And I get to the second one, and they start singing about, like, Liu Kang and his, like, Chinese, you know, mystic arts or whatever. And I'm like, all right, this is weird, but I'll keep going. And then it just is, like, more and more lore and people singing as characters. And I remember sitting on the plane, going to Brazil, leaving my friends and family, never feeling more alone, listening (laughs) listening to this weird video game soundtrack. That was not what yeah. I wanted, but kind of was because the music oh, was there. Man. 
So yeah, I had to bring that up. So, so yeah, it's not only incredible. you mentioned that like video game soundtracks now are done like really well. It's like a like like a movie soundtrack, you yeah. know. It's like the score and everything. But even then, uh, this is not like the soundtrack from the game, no. though. No, no, no. This is just a soundtrack like inspired by the game. And that's what's so weird yeah. is because it's it's Mortal Kombat the album, but it's not. It's yeah. almost like a spinoff <laughs> of a song that's also not from the game. <laughs> that's from the movie. Uh, but the art of the cover is the is the game. The credits on yep. the back is like sprites Man. from the game. Like it's yeah, very odd. So that's fantastic though. Had to share it. I like it. Yep, it's good. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad somebody yeah. else <laughs> mentioned that. Yeah, because that was that was the bad version. Of yeah, that. I'm gonna have bad. to check that out for sure. I, I never listened to that. I, I had the movie soundtrack. I, I might have had Annihilation soundtrack at one point, but I didn't even know this thing existed. So. Yeah, uh, that, that your out. last episode was great for a lot of reasons. Going down that memory lane with that stuff was awesome for me because I, oh, yeah, cool. I was definitely somebody who was in both camps for Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter. But like even at a young age was was committed and nerdy at a level that was a little unhealthy to where I was <laughs> seeing the movies. I saw Mortal Kombat on VHS. I saw Annihilation in theaters. But then I was buying the novelizations of the movies like oh, I was wow, the yeah. albums, like anything mm-hmm. I could find that was connected to it. And I remember like having all these conversations with my dad where I was like, they do all this stuff with Katana and her character in the novelization that's not in the movie. And like, I'm sure my dad having to be like, I love my son, so I have to act interested. (laughs) And (laughs) it's just being like the worst crap. (laughs) But yeah. Yeah, I never realized I needed uh, that much more backstory for all these characters, but apparently there's a whole universe I didn't know about. <laughs> it's <as> well. rich. <laughs> Do you have a uh, a preference for for Street Fighter versus Mortal Kombat? Did you uh, agree yeah. with how it all shaped up? I voted for Street Fighter in the thing. Mm-hmm. I honestly am pretty much where Brent is. Um, yeah, I, I played and loved both growing up. I. I always liked the designs of the Street Fighter stuff more. I, I honestly think, mm-hmm. and you guys kind of touched on this in the episode a little bit, I honestly think it's a it's a big sensibility shift between uh, the Japanese, like, Asian sort of approach to mm-hmm. all their stuff and the American stuff. Because the Mortal Kombat always felt very American to me and how they marketed yeah. it and how it was very much like, oh, yeah, you don't like violence? Well, here's blood. Like, here's all these <laughs> blood that look like toenail clippings when they fly off. And, like, um, there was always the rumor when I was a kid, and I think this was probably a rumor for a lot of places, where it's like, well, there's a fatality that if you do it right, it's a secret one. And uh, is her name Sindel, the one that's got silver mm-hmm. hair and, like, a purple outfit? Um, yeah. yeah. She'll, like she'll pull her boobs out and shoot acid and melt the guy so you can, like, see her boobs for a second. Like, that was, like, a big, like, rumor. So it was, like, that was kind of Mortal Kombat's thing. More stuff like, to go check out. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mortal Kombat was always the, like, sort of offensive thing. And then yeah. Street Fighter was always very, like, I loved how clean the, like, the sprites were, like, in the game. Mm-hmm. Especially, I played Street Fighter Alpha 2 a lot for Super Nintendo, and seeing like the designs and I had a Street Fighter Alpha 2 like guidebook and in the back they printed all of like the concept art and then like each of the frames of like a roundhouse kick or whatever and so I loved all of those designs and world but then Mortal Kombat is just so much fun in its own way too Mm -hmm. Um, so it was Mm -hmm. really a preference thing but I honestly love both so there's there's no there's no loser either way I was happy with how it ended with you guys because you talked about both yeah 
Oh, and uh, real quick, I wanted to mention um, if people wanted some more information on uh, your um, the Star Wars book that you have coming out, that's on episode 210 of Erie International. Oh, yeah. yep. um, I had uh, pulled it up and completely forgot about it. <laughs> it's so doing a great job here. Um, and this isn't something that uh, I had planned, but uh, since we had mentioned dinosaurs twice on this episode, <laughs> I got to ask, have you guys seen the, uh, the Battle at Big Rock, the, uh, the Jurassic World short? That came out I have not. last week. I, saw I still it, have not. And I saw it linked. Um, I will watch it. I okay. Especially because I didn't love the last Jurassic Park movie, but I loved how it ended. So, but it had a dinosaur clone girl in it. Yeah, I remember. What more could you possibly want? <laughs> I remember. Brent, I forgot about that, and now I'm angry all over again. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I still have it. I, it's funny you asked if I had anything to throw in the beginning of the episode, so I was going through my, my links I had saved recently, and I, I had saved that, and I was like, oh, yeah. But like every time I remember to watch it, I'm laying in bed next to my peacefully sleeping wife, and I don't have headphones in, in reach, and uh, then I forget about it all over again until the next night. So uh, I still need to watch it. But, Brent, have you seen it? Cause I'm curious oh, I thought. have. Thank you for asking. Oh, yeah, yeah um, <laughs> has dinosaurs in it, 11 out of 10. Um, it was very enjoyable. I, uh, it, it seemed, I don't know why this was made, honestly, Ooh. but I'm glad it was because it's, uh, short and sweet, kind of gets to the point and, uh, maybe it's like a, a teaser for the, the next movie that's coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to spoil anything, but you know, it, it picks up from where the, the, the end of the last movie, um, leaves off. Okay. So yeah, definitely worth watching. Fair Kill enough. Kill eight minutes. It's fine. Yeah. I'm down for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm glad that I let us down that path. Uh, paid dividends. Um, so <laughs> should we go ahead and uh, just uh, move over to uh, some Nine Inch Nails talk? Let's do, it. Let's do it. All right. So, um, Stephen, you you have uh, just like a general idea of Nine Inch Nails, and you know there's somebody in the world named Trent Reznor. Yes. I think that's fair to say. Mm-hmm. Um, David... Uh, at one point, Nine Inch Nails was your favorite band. Are they still your favorite band? Oh, yeah. yeah, for sure. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. okay. Interesting, yeah. And then I'm kind of like right in between you guys. Um, I'm, I'm more familiar with like the, the radio songs, mm-hmm. um, but my friend Ross had a, uh, um, in addition to that Mortal Kombat, the game uh, non-soundtrack, <laughs> uh, he also had like some CD singles of, of certain Nine Inch Nails songs like Wish and Sin. And uh, I have a lot of affinity for for those type of tracks. Um, Wish is a great song that I didn't appreciate in t- as much until it was used in the credits of Cabin in the Woods. Right? Wait, uh, am I getting it mixed up? I might be getting it mixed up. Oh, I don't up. know. Yeah. The, when the hand, this is a spoiler for Cabin in the Woods, when the hand slams down on the cabin, it yeah. starts the Nine Inch Nails song right at the end. I, I didn't know who that was. It might yeah. not be Wish. I could be wrong. Yeah. Actually, you know what? <laughs> Let me, I'm not going to, I don't mean to interrupt, but this leads me to a great point. When Brent, when okay. you messaged me, uh, your first text was, mm-hmm. Uh, hey, obviously, as you know, this year marks the 25th anniversary of Downward Spiral. Do you want to come on? Blah, blah, blah. So I read yeah. the text out loud to Amanda, uh, and I was like, hey, I'm going to be on this on my friend's podcast. And she was like, I read her the text, and she was like, did you know that it's the 25th anniversary of Downward Spiral? And I was like, absolutely not. I'm going to have to act way more smart on this podcast about <laughs> Nine Inch Nails <laughs> because they think that I know everything about Nine Inch Nails. So yes, my favorite band. I'll probably get some stuff wrong, though. Uh, so that's my disclaimer. That's okay. <laughs> I think that's, that's fine. Okay. Yeah, because uh, that's how I, I mean, feel about my favorite band. That I'm like, but I I had to like research it before the episode to be like, yeah, but I know <laughs> stuff about them. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so the the great thing about this show 
is that nobody listens to it. So really, you can just say what you <laughs> right, want. I'll make yeah. some stuff up. Like, not only no pressure, like negative pressure. <laughs> okay. Just like literally say whatever you want. It could be entirely wrong. <laughs> it's know. totally fine. It's fine. <laughs> so, um, Stephen, let me ask you, mm-hmm. uh, as far as Nine Inch Nails go, like in general, not just this album, but in general, like how familiar are you with like some of the 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 music like mm-hmm. do you know the them only from like the radio or, or do you like listen to um any of the music associated with like the fincher films i know it's not nine mm-hmm. inch nails but it's you know trent reznor involved um yeah what, what are your thoughts on that well first off i looked up i, I think the song you were talking about was last Last, yeah, yeah, that ends okay. uh, Cabin in the Woods. Uh, that's cool. I have to listen to that. I love that movie um, so much. But um, yeah, my history with them is is really like the radio songs for the most part. But it was uh, my group of friends that I kind of joined with in like middle school when this era was kind of around, like Marilyn Manson and stuff, like uh, and Corn. Like uh, Brent and I talked about that. Like I got into Corn from the same kind of group. Um, they were all like uh, harder edge than like my friends had been growing up but I, I changed to a different middle school from elementary school so it was like I just kind of met them and they all listened to Nine Inch Nails and stuff so they kind of got me into it but it was really just like like uh like closer and and um uh hurt that I really like remember so much um mm-hmm. and that even is more from like the Johnny Cash version uh that I like so much um but uh yeah so I don't have like a huge like background with them and uh, and in particular uh, when I was doing my research for this episode, I always just assumed it was a band. I've thought that until <laughs> yesterday. I didn't know this was basically Trent Reznor, and then he has like some backup people that do like shows with him live, uh, which is really fascinating to me. But mm-hmm. as you mentioned, Brett, yes, I I love the Social Network soundtrack. I've used that as a soundtrack to like write to before. Um, there's just something about it that's just so wicked. And at the time that came out, I didn't understand. I, I was, like, so floored that, like, uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, who I learned about then, were doing, like, a movie score for Fincher, and I was like, this is crazy. And then listening to this album and, like, some of his other stuff, I was like, oh, it makes total sense. He was already kind of doing instrumentals and stuff and like, that same kind of vein for years. I just never knew. Um, so, yeah, I was really just, like, I, I'm, I'm more follow him and or them with their scores than I know of the, the old albums and stuff. But, uh, so this was... I've never seen, I've never listened to this album, The Downward Spiral, in its entirety ever. So that was a wake-up call for me. It'll be interesting right. to talk about this, yeah. <laughs> um, like I said, I've dabbled in uh, Nine Inch Nails here a little bit, um, but uh, I don't think I've ever listened to a, a whole album altogether mm-hmm. either. So this was a, a first for me. Um, so I think, yeah, like the, the version I listened to was The Downward Spiral, but it had like, additional tracks at the end of it like another 14 tracks or whatever mm-hmm. um so i didn't get into to all that because that's that's a some deep waters yeah. to wade into uh <laughs> after listening to the first 14 but um otherwise uh david what is what is your history with with the band do you remember when you got into them yeah for sure it's uh, it was a weird thing like i i i always tell people when i tell them it's my favorite band i usually add the the little follow-up sentence which is 
Although I don't really like any other bands like them. <laughs> like I, it's, it's not <laughs> yeah, like I'm a yeah. big industrial guy or something like, yeah. um, there are a lot of, a lot of other associated bands that I do like, but it wasn't like it one led me to the next thing. Um, yeah. in a lot of ways it was similar to some of the stuff you guys said. So I, I was a, um, how old are you guys? I, I guess I, I always assume I'm younger cause I'm usually the youngest person with this stuff, but I, I might not be. I'm 34. Yeah, we're both 17. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> we're at half our ages. Okay. Yeah. I'm 34. So yeah. I'm I'm 30. Uh, 36. Okay. So you guys are a yeah. little bit older than me. So I'm 30. Okay. So I, in high school, I discovered a bunch of completely disconnected things at the same time that then all had one thing in common, which was Nine Inch Nails. And so uh, the first one I think was. Um, Cash. So I the, I, the Walk the Line movie came out when I was in high school. Mm. Uh, I knew my dad always liked Johnny Cash. I was interested in, in the story. Loved the movie. Uh, I haven't watched it since then, but um, at the time I used to Sounds watch it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to revisit it. Um, so but <laughs> not a lot has changed since my Mortal Kombat days. Bought the, uh, <laughs> what would be the, their novelization, Cash's autobiography, <laughs> okay, Cash. Yeah. Um, <laughs> read that in high school. Loved it too. Um, and in that process... Uh, heard his cover of Hurt. Uh, at the same, roughly the same time, they released the first trailer for 300, which the entire trailer, from my memory, is scored to Just Like You Imagine, which is a song off of The Fragile, which is one of my favorite Nine Inch Nails songs. It's all instrumental. Uh, it's real crazy. They choreograph one specific point in the trailer where one of those rhinos, like, gore somebody to, like, an upward, like, <laughs> tone that goes oh, up in awesome. the song that's really cool. Um, and I looked that up because I was like, what is this awesome song? It was Nine Inch Nails. And so I, in the process of that, we did a thing in our American history class where you would have to pick a character from history, um, learn a bunch about them, and then basically, it was before the days where this stuff was more prevalent, but essentially role play that character. So we would have these like character parties. You dress up as your character, go there, be in character. They would have different teachers that would come around and interview you, and you'd have to know your stuff. So I played guitar. Uh, I was like, I'm going to do cash. So I went as Johnny Cash. I wore a suit um, and my guitar and learned how to play a few Johnny Cash songs, one of them being Hurt. And so in the process of that, I learned more about cash, but then also Nine Inch Nails and that it was um, this one dude, basically, uh, same thing that you said earlier, Mm -hmm. Stephen, but had when he toured, had other people with him. Um, And then this was also in the early days of uh, like the first like iPod videos and, you know, Mm -hmm. iTunes and stuff. So I was, I, I went to go, I was also in that early stage, I think a lot of people hit where instead of just like listening or making mixes or burning CDs back in that day, um, you kind of hit a point, at least for me, where it's like, okay, I want to know more about this band, so I'm going to look at a whole album, which mm-hmm. I think that there's a certain point, I think for a lot of people, but where before that, that idea seems sort of crazy unless it's playing by somebody else, but the idea that you are making a decision as a young teen or whatever to listen to a whole album. So I was like, I'm going to do that. I googled it, like, what's the best Nine Inch Nails album to start with? Someone said Downward Spiral. I probably wouldn't tell people that now. <laughs> but for me at the time, I was like, all right. Because it's this like two-disc descent into suicide, basically. Yeah. Um, but, so I grabbed that one and, uh, yeah, just sort of had this crazy trip with trying to figure it out. Because it's mm. so, it's not really accessible. There are moments of it that are. There are moments of it that like caught on with like closer and stuff like that mm-hmm. uh, and hurt to a certain extent. 
but it's not like a very friendly album to especially to newcomers but kind of really to anybody uh in a lot of ways it almost feels in some aspects like a newer nine inch nails album like what they would go toward um but the other like the third piece of it at the same time was i heard a song on the radio around that time liked it a lot didn't realize until in this process that it was also nine inch nails and it was one of their new Hmm. songs and it was um uh only off of uh with teeth which is the videos directed by fincher too and it's uh the one where like the desk is coming to life with different stuff so like the, there's one of those things where it has all the pins in it and you can put your hand in it and make different prints. Everybody always does a little mm-hmm. finger, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, like, Reznor's face is moving in it, singing. And then there's, like, those, like, uh, bouncing balls that people have on their desks that, like, mm-hmm. are magnetic that go back and forth. Um, loved that song. To this day, still my favorite Nine Inch Nails song. Many people's least favorite because it's very weird and he does this, like, weird, like, he kind of speaks, sings throughout it. Um, but all those things kind of congealed and it was, like, I, there was something about it all that I really liked I'd never heard before. I loved the aesthetic of it. Again, an example of something where I didn't necessarily know graphic design, but I knew I liked what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, Rob Sheridan, for a long time, was kind of like their key visual guy. He now is writing a comic at DC, which is pretty crazy. And he was also like their webmaster guy, did all their, their online stuff. And so like the the general like aesthetic that they carried through their albums and like their logo, which is very iconic too and very simple and clean, um, all that stuff kind of clicked for me and it was also something that felt very much at the time mine I was I grew up, I didn't grow up there but I was living in a very very small town in Indiana called Gas City um, which you know people obviously love to make jokes about which I get they should <laughs> and it's a, it's a it's a town of like 5,000 people it's really small and I, I none of my friends liked Nine Inch Nails so there you know, mm. people knew who they were, but it felt very much like my thing. And so, like, there was something yeah. that I was kind of learning about and working my way through. Um, and when I would bring them up to friends where I'd be like, man, I'm, I had heard this name before, but I never listened to them. Um, everybody would just immediately start singing the close or the chorus to Closer, which the first time I didn't know the song. So I was confused why they were saying this uh, very vulgar, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> vulgar thing they wanted to do to me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was never like uh, it was never a popular thing at that time, you know, for especially for high school kids. So it felt a little fringy, which has always mm-hmm. kind of been something I've with comics and everything else been kind of my M.O. anyway. So, yeah, it, it all kind of congealed into that. And then it carried, it just always stayed. There's been bands from back then that I really love that, you know, I still listen to now that stuff from back then. Like, there's a dropping off point. And Nine Inch Nails, it never happened. I went into college, and by that point, I think Year Zero was coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, followed them through. Then they did the whole thing with, um, I forget the name of the album now off the top of my head. But they did the Radiohead thing. They had done it in Rainbows where it was like, it's free or you can pay oh, if yeah. you want Reznor did mm-hmm. that with the next Nine Inch Nails album. Um, and then they did the Ghosts 1 through 4, I think of the numbers. Mm-hmm. And that was like, that's like the early Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross thing, like mm-hmm. before they did it. It's just him, but it's basically Atticus Ross was there. And it's them just doing like improvisational, sometimes great, sometimes kind of nonsense. And they've used a mm-hmm. lot of that. And that was a creative, they released that under a Creative Commons license, which Reznor was really into at the time. And I think still kind of is. So you could do whatever you wanted with that. So I yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, you, if you wanted to put it in your movie, you you could. It was you didn't have to ask permission. Um, you had to credit it, but that was it. So um, I used that in a lot of like movies I was making in college. And so there's always like a through line from there. But Downward Spiral was the first like album I got into. And so for that reason, it's always been one of my favorites. 
but it's probably one of the it's probably at the bottom of the list in terms of ones I re-listen to because it is a hard mm-hmm. kind of album to just like <laughs> to just be <laughs> like kick back and like yeah. yeah like it's it's tough so well yeah. I I was listening to this uh, it would have been flooding in Houston my car stalled out in flood water and I had to drive out to my car and wait in a parking lot for a tow truck and I had like 45 minutes to kill and I was like putting on that Nine Inch Nails album. <laughs> so I was just like in the middle of the parking lot of a Chinese restaurant listening to this for the first time. It was a, a very interesting experience because I'm glad that you say that about it. That it's kind of hard to approach and that makes sense now. Like I like some of their music so much and some of this was like really hard for me to approach and just be yeah. like, is it just nonsense? Or is it like, like you mentioned, like those little moments where it's like, all right, I'm getting some from that. And it's, it's all very interesting, but I'm not sure that I got everything that I could have out of it, I guess, maybe too. Totally. Mm-hmm. This was the first time I noticed the new metal stuff, which I never, when I would hear people that were fans of new metal say they liked Nine Inch Nails for those reasons, I was always like, what? Because I always think of like Limp Biscuit when people say new metal. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I know it's not just that, but this time there were some riffs and stuff in this where I was like, oh, I forgot that this like little gooey center of riffs is in this song, which is otherwise like cars crashing into each other while someone screams and whispers at the same time in the background like it's you make it through that and then yeah. it's like yeah here's this like let's shred for like 30 seconds and then we're gonna go back to like someone like ASMRing like a box of socks or like just like the weirdest stuff yeah David have you ever seen Nine Inch Nails live I have yeah I saw him on the uh, the Ninja Tour which was Nine Inch Nails Jane's Addiction um, okay, and, that's cool. uh, hmm. yeah, it was their, it was their quote unquote last tour, uh, which they did three times, I think, <laughs> um, <laughs> where they were going to be done touring for a while. Cause Reznor is very temperamental and very hot and cold about stuff. And so he'll hit walls where he'll just be like, I'm done. I'm done with this or that. And some of that stuff has, has stayed true depending on what it is, but he's done that with touring a couple times. And so yeah, my, a friend and I in college, he got us tickets and, uh, they were on the lawn this venue here in uh where i live and uh we did the classic like a friend had better tickets so we like you know he went out with his tickets we um two of us went in and sat down went out to get the third person kind of thing so we could get closer seats um (laughs) and uh, so i got to see him pretty close and yeah it was amazing i I have some video from it but it was from like a flip phone era so when you play (laughs) the thing it's just like it's just nothing like you can't <laughs> distinguish any sounds at all um but it was yeah it was a great concert and uh i i did not like and still don't really like jane's addiction um but i yeah. I, I kind of i kind of understand them more now uh but like the joke now with my friend and i that went to the the show that we always refer to is remember that awesome nine inch nails show and we you know reminisce for a second and we're like yeah and then inevitably one of us will be like Remember when Jane's Addiction started playing and we left early to beat the crowds and ate at a Waffle House? I'm like, yeah, that was great, too. <laughs> so I, I didn't see Jane's Addiction play, but we did go to a Waffle House. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it was a great show. They ended up coming back after that, and then they did stuff with, like, David Lynch and stuff, who's, like, one of my favorite Ooh. filmmakers. So I was like, of course I didn't get to see that tour, but... Um, that's interesting, yeah. though. Yeah, they that's put on cool. A good show. It does seem like a weird... Um, Grouping of Nine Inch Nails and Jane's Addiction, but then I just remembered that uh, Stephen Perkins, um, I, wasn't he the um, wait 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 collaborative former Jane's Addiction? Okay, yeah, Stephen Perkins. He played on this album with um, 
I don't know how to correct that sentence. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes Brett just has a stroke in the middle of recording. It happens. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Uh, smelling that burnt toast. Um, Stephen Perkins was the drummer for Jane's Addiction, and um, I guess he played on this record a little bit uh, along with uh, Chris Brenna. Um, who's the regular Nine Inch Nails drummer. So I guess that's the, the connection there. Sure. This is one of those moments where I'm going to be like, of course I knew it was the 25th anniversary. What are you talking about? <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, that's probably right. I know that this had a, a pretty interesting and like troubled production. Um, mm-hmm. They had people swapping in and out. Reznor was pissed off with the record label. I think this was like the last one they did with Interscope or maybe... Uh, the first one they did with it, off of them, maybe. Yeah, it was uh, TBT was okay. the original label, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then he switched from them to uh, to this and uh, to Interscope. Yeah, and he, I think this was the album that he founded, the Null Corporation stuff, and that's like his his thing. And they started like um, I think before this, like numbering everything. So if you buy mm-hmm. a Nine Inch Nails, like even like an EP to this day, it's it's Halo something. They've numbered all of their releases like Criterion almost does mm-hmm. um, in different ways. But yeah, there was that. Um, I also have uh, one funny connection, if you guys want a quick little side story. Sure. Please. Uh, So I mentioned earlier that I used to work um, taking calls at Apple. There's all these great stories. I thought about this the other day. I I don't know how many times probably, Brent, on Hideous Energy, you heard me start to say something and be like, I can't tell you. Like, I can't say it on air. Because they had crazy NDAs. So I couldn't talk about anything that went on there with the client, with uh, Concentrics was the company I worked for. But now I'm like 99.9% sure I can say whatever. (laughs) I'm going to do it. No one Um, listens to this. Yeah, so you're good. Yeah, (laughs) again, you're you're in the safe zone. So we've we've committed or uh, we've confessed to murders on the show. And uh, it's fine. That's fine. So, okay. So I, one day, uh, very, very standard day for me at that time. I was probably uh, 22, maybe 23. I was driving to work, listened to Nine Nails on the way to work. Again, very common back then, especially. Um, I had my like little chat icon in my work client as like a Nine Inch Nails symbol or something. Uh, I mm-hmm. take my first call of the morning and it's this elderly woman. And immediately it's pretty crazy because it's, She's in a town, and I won't I won't name the town or anything, but she's in a town that is like extremely close to where the town and to Gas City, where I where mm. I mentioned earlier. So already a small town. It's a smaller town than Gas City. And once I confirmed her address and everything, I was making small talk with her as we were. I was helping her with her problem, and I was like, "That's crazy." Like I I met my wife in Gas City. That's where I went to school. Blah blah blah. And she was like, "Oh really?" And she was like, "Yeah." You know, she I forget how she got onto it. But she started talking about her daughter and her daughter was and is this model. And she was like, and actually, my daughter ended up marrying uh, someone in the band. Have you ever heard Nine Inch of Nine Inch Nails? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, what? Uh, so right away, I did believe her. I didn't tell her that. But I was like, she's got something wrong. Not, not like with her, but like she's got a fact wrong or something in here. Yeah. Um, she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. My daughter. And she said her daughter's name. Um, which I guess I can say Zoe Wiseman because uh, this is all public information um, mm-hmm. she was like she's a model and she met Charlie Charlie Clouser and when she said that I was oh. like oh this is real because I, yeah. I knew who Charlie Clouser was because he worked with and uh, I don't think does anymore but was a big part of Nine Inch Nails stuff he's also known for doing um, Zep's theme which is the main song from Saw from the movies like the dun 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 they, they huh. played at the end of every Saw movie now um, he did that score. He did the theme song to American Horror Story. He's done a lot of industrial type stuff. Um, 
So then I'm just sitting there trying to like not freak out on the phone because I <laughs> like a I want to tell her like this is my favorite band, but also uh, like I know her connection is like she's like a 70 year old woman in the small town in Indiana who does not probably hates Nine Inch Nails music. Yeah, but, <laughs> if I had to guess. but it was so weird and like it was the most bizarre. So I did kind of tell her and it was a, good, a really good call and I was just like yeah this band means so much to me. It was like so random because it's yeah that's so random. It's not location based when you take calls at a call center. It just come it you're, it routes to whoever's next. So there was no reason for me to get that call. Um, but yeah, it was the strangest thing. So now whenever I see Charlie Clouser's name or on anything, I'm always like, yeah, one time I talked to his wife's mom. <laughs> like, just like the weirdest like, non-connection. And there were a handful of those through the years at the call center. I helped the head writer on Nurse Jackie one time uh, with her laptop wow. and her MacBook. And she was like, we have a script that's due to HBO. And I was like, I'll get you into this Apple store right now. Like, so we had you to do a bunch of... You saved the show. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You know, everybody has things like that. Like I was in the break one time and I heard a like very stereotypical Indiana guy who's like, man, I just talked to, I think it was like, uh, Travin Barker, the guy from Blink-182, his <laughs> wife called about her iPod. Like, you always hear stories like that where it'd be like, someone famous is like friend's sister or whatever yeah, would right. call in. But, so yeah, it's my Charlie Clouser story. That's awesome. Hey, you know what? Celebrities, <laughs> they really are just like us. <laughs> exactly. Trying to figure out their Apple product, you know? Yeah, I'm living in LA with uh, the in-law back in Indiana <laughs> needing help with right. their iPod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You figured out, Mom. <laughs> so, um, well, I guess let's uh, let's go ahead and, and uh, I guess get into the album discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, I figure we'll uh, we'll go uh, track by track, like we did for the uh, the Airborne Toxic Event mm-hmm. album. So let me uh, let me give you an idea of what the landscape of 1994 looked like in in pop culture. Excellent. You know, um, the uh, the video game Earthworm Jim had just come out. You know, <laughs> gay icon Earthworm Jim. Um, <laughs> Uh, the Clone Saga started in the Spider-Man comics at uh, at Marvel back in the day, which many hated, but uh, some of us uh, kind of look back on fondly because that's when I got into Spider-Man, which is bizarre because he was like a very like dark, brooding character and a lot of just like weird, confusing story arcs going on. But that's when I got into it, and uh, I can't imagine it's anything I would ever want to read at this point, but <laughs> I just have a, a, a strong affinity for that. It's kind of, that's kind of a great parallel to the downward spiral. Like I would never tell someone to start <laughs> with the clone saga, but it does have Scarlet spider in it. And it does yeah. have like cool, really cool stuff in it, even though it's kind of this like long sprawling chaotic mess. So yeah, you landed on something there. Although I wouldn't call downward spiral a mess. I think it's a good album, but yeah, no, I get what you're yeah. what you're saying there. Um, hey, you like Spider-Man? Here's 78 of them. Yeah. Enjoy. <laughs> Figure it out. <laughs> Which one's the real one? We don't know. Okay, we'll just drag it out. Um, as far as TV goes, uh, the TV show Friends debuted, and mm. uh, of course the Tick animated series, which I was a massive fan oh, of. Nice. Um, I still just love the idea that there's somebody out there wearing carpet, calling themselves Carpet Man. Um, it's incredible. Uh, great idea. Uh, I'm I'm horrified that I didn't think of it. Um, As far as movies go, uh, there are some big ones that came out. Pulp Fiction, Forrest Gump, The Lion King, and Kevin Smith's Clerks Mm. uh, all hit the box office. So that's that's kind of a a general idea of the the pop culture in that specific year. Um, Now, this album came out in March of 1994. And if you're saying, hey, you're putting out this episode six months late, yeah, that's yeah, of course. That's what we do. That's what we do here. We miss anniversaries, but uh, try to make it up on the back end here. So, um, Stephen, you had mentioned that you had never like listened to um, 
like a Nine Inch Nails album mm. before, right? Uh, nor have I. Um, did you have any any like thoughts going into listening to this or any expectations? Um, I didn't have any expectations. I honestly didn't really remember even which songs I might have known off of this, uh, like the ones I mentioned earlier. But um, mm-hmm. I started listening to it, and then I started reading like along on the Wikipedia just about the band and, and Trent Reznor and then kind of this album. And uh, like I was saying earlier, I, I'm not sure that I got everything I, I probably could out of this, but also that I would have at all had I not read, like uh, you had said earlier, that it's it's a person's like descent into like self-destruction and and suicide and it makes sense as an album as you listen listen to it as that but i'm not sure like had i not known that i would have been like i don't know what he's trying to say with this (laughs) you know uh, on my own but um because there's not i don't know i'm not used to this sort of genre a whole lot i didn't listen to uh a lot of like anything that wasn't on the radio of these and even those were like at the time were like very groundbreaking and like to me to my, I, I was such like a, a goody giddy up until that point, and this is when I was like rebelling a little bit, and I started becoming friends with like skater guys and and different just different groups, whatever. And uh, so this is like almost like uh, some of the songs that I knew on it were kind of like battle cries back then or whatever. Or, like some of my parents didn't clearly like or whatever. But uh, mm-hmm. the rest of this album now, I'm like, man, this is really hardcore for me. I'm not sure about <laughs> this. <laughs> um. Yeah, so when I, I looked up this album, I, I had just assumed it was a collection of songs, like most albums, but then I saw it was a concept album, and then, yeah, exploring those same themes, and I was like, uh-oh, I, well, we've, we're wading into these waters here, because um, I've, I've never really, like, gotten into concept albums, um, because sometimes they, like, kind of veer off into, like, musical territory, um, mm-hmm. like, a, like a stage musical or <laughs> something like that, which I'm not, a, a big, yeah. I'm not a big fan of, um, but luckily it's... Um, it's like there's a protagonist, you know, in this song, but he's not it's not overt. Like you could you could take one of these songs and just like put it out on the radio like Closer or mm-hmm. Hurt and it stands on its own. You know, it's not like remember what I did three tracks ago. Yeah. Here's here's some follow up resolution to that. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, and I'll, I'll, I'll save my thoughts on the uh, my my thoughts on the album for you know later in the discussion but david um what about you what uh has it been a while since you've listened to this this entire album altogether yeah as an album yeah for sure um Mm -hmm. i yeah uh, from a beginning to end deal yeah i have a a spotify playlist that i basically threw all of their main albums into and if i want to listen to nine inch nails i just shuffle that so i I Mm -hmm. listen to kind of everything um but in terms of a uh, album from beginning to end, yeah, it years. So it was, it was weird. Like I, I don't go back to it a lot. Like I mentioned earlier, because there are not so much that I think it's bad or that I don't like it as much as there are just other albums that I like a lot more. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. um, having it be, I mean, again, it was the first full length one of theirs I listened to. I loved it. It led to all this other stuff. So it was one of those things where it was like, Oh, there's just going to be so much more, better stuff where he's honing things and doing different stuff and I think Pretty Hate Machine is that way for a lot of people where it's like their Mm -hmm. first entryway and they don't like as much stuff later I had a weird entryway with this and then With Teeth was the contemporary one which a lot of people don't like but it's probably my favorite of their albums even though I don't think it's their best Um, so yeah it's like a beginning to end thing I I know we're not talking about the deluxe edition when I bought it on iTunes I I bought the deluxe edition not necessarily even probably didn't even realize it might have been the only one that Mm -hmm. was on there 
Um, so it was always like a double album to me because it had mm -hmm. an entire other CD full of songs. And so I associate a lot of those. Like they do a, a, a Joy Division cover of um, Dead Souls, which is great. They did for the Crow soundtrack. That's on there. So I associate it with the Downward Spiral, even though it's not really part of it. Um, mm -hmm. Lyrically, I, I always knew what it was about, but I never really... And this is going to be the part of the, our discussion, I think, where I'm going to be the most useless and the least interesting, <laughs> is in general, I listen to lyrics and pay attention to lyrics when I happen to notice them. Um, for whatever reason, I usually don't. I'll give you an example. I heard a bit from a comedian three days ago uh, talking about how when he became a dad and, and heard the song or found out he's going to become a dad and he heard the song with arms wide open by Creed on the radio and, <laughs> and it like destroyed him. He's like, it's this awful band. And they did this song and it broke me. So it's a funny bit. But in that moment, I was like, that song's about becoming a dad. Like I had no idea. And, then as, but, and I know oh, yeah. that song really well because I listened to Creed a lot back in the day. Yeah. yeah. But as soon I as no so I know it well enough that I know the lyrics of the chorus. So then I, I paused it and I was like, I just heard the news today. I was like, holy crap, it is. Like, it, it's very obviously about finding out you're going to have a kid. Even the oh, chorus, man. like, welcome to this place. I'll show you everything. So I don't I don't really pay attention as much to it. When I pulled up a lot of the lyrics in preparation for this, I got on, um, what's the site? It's like the Cliff Notes lyrics. Genius. Um, Genius, yeah. And was looking at a lot of stuff. There was a lot of stuff for me where I was like, oh, okay, cool. I, a, I never knew he said that. B, I didn't know that that's how people interpret it. Um, so I won't have a lot to offer <laughs> in the lyric side of things uh, in the discussion, just because for me, I've, I never paid super close attention to it. But I think I always knew even when I was younger that I was like, it's probably about suicide. Like, I just kind of <laughs> assumed <laughs> all the songs were about that in some way. But I also know that yeah. the Reznor does a lot of stuff where he'll write about one thing and it's really about something else. He likes doing that. So like Closer, everybody thinks is this like lust anthem. And really, mm -hmm. he said it's about like, uh, hating religion or something I forget but it's like Ooh. it's not about that at all uh, Big yeah. Man with a Gun was another one where people were like oh yeah. it's promoting all this stuff and he's like really it's satirizing all that stuff um, I think some of that is how he likes to write I think some of it is back then he was kind of a pretentious idiot because they also had that whole thing with the recording in the Tate uh, Manson murder house and mm -hmm. him mm -hmm. being like oh I just thought it was you know whatever and then Sharon Tate's sister confronted him and he was like for the first time, I realized. And I was like, really, for the first time? Like, <laughs> yeah, people yeah. were massacred in this house, dude. Like, they wrote Pig on the door and, like, or Le Pig or whatever. And, like, that's the title of one of your songs. Like, you knew. But I think he he kind of maybe also didn't fully know what lyrically some of it was. Because I noticed on Genius, there's a split. There's, like, uh, people who have uh, an interpretation of it as a downward spiral through addiction, drugs, etc., into suicide. And then also interpretation where people think it goes into redemption. And so there's mm -hmm. key lines in Hurt where even on the Genius site, you can look at two different interpretations Ooh. where the plats kind of either end or start anew where it's like, I didn't commit suicide and here's kind of where his life starts over. Um, I don't have a lot to add on all of that stuff as we go through, but I will be able to be like, yeah, this song's got cool guitars and I like when this ro <laughs> robot orgasm comes in. <laughs> Well, no, that's that's okay. That was actually going to be one of my questions for you. Is like, it, it sounds stupid, but like, how do you listen to music? Like, mm -hmm. I'm very much a like uh, like a vibe person. I, I typically don't listen to 
lyrics like the first time I hear a song. Yeah. Um, I kind of just go off of the, the, the rhythm or like the percussion of something. Um, and, and melody doesn't really like set in with me like it does for a lot of people. Like both of you guys are film guys and I know both of you have like reference for certain film scores. A lot of that stuff just like washes over me. Like I don't even like pay attention to it. Like it took, uh, like maybe the, uh, we were like well into the like MCU phases before I was like, oh, there's like a, a, an Avengers theme. <laughs> okay, I get it. Okay, these are some notes. Okay, I understand. Uh, but yeah, I, so when I listened to this, I listened to it twice. I listened to it once without looking at the lyrics. Hmm. Um, I like listened to it to my car as I was like driving somewhere earlier this week. And then um, last night I listened to it looking at Genius, going through the lyrics and looking at the annotations and everything. And um, it wasn't until, like, last night when I was listening to it, it was, like, after midnight, and I was, like, sitting in my living room, like, with just, like, one lamp on, and it was, like, very, like, kind of, like, unsettling to, to listen to. Mm. Um, and, like, after I was done with the album, I was just like, I'm done with this. I got to turn on <laughs> something, like, nice to, to watch for a little bit before I go to bed. Yeah. Just to, like, reset myself, you know? I will say, I don't want it to come across either, like, I think that lyrics are, are important. Like, I think, I think the vibe mm. and the tone and the energy of this album um i don't think that it would have the same effect if he was talking about different stuff singing about different stuff even though i've never picked up on it because i think the Mm. emotion so much of that comes through the stuff that he's singing and the stuff that he's saying and even when i was younger when that was harder for me to quantify i remember uh at one point working at a movie gallery hating my boss she was the worst and i hated working there uh i i would drive there pissed off drive home pissed off and I finally got to a point where I was like, I got to stop listening to Nine Inch Nails on the way there. And at least <laughs> on the way there, because it, it would it was just kind of burrowing into my head, not even lyrics. But I think subconsciously that stuff mm-hmm. was also baked into all of it. And it was mm-hmm. definitely getting me to a place where I was pissed off before I even got there. And not in a way where it's like, like, you know, people say like, oh, well, you're you're depressed because you're in there listening to your rock music. Like not like that, yeah. <laughs> but just there is an energy to his stuff. And there definitely is a darkness, especially in the earlier stuff that I think comes through uh, yeah. in a very palpable way where, like you said, you get to the end of it and you're like, all right, I need to go play catch with like a puppy or something to kind of reset <laughs> my, my brain now because it's it's in a bad, weird, dark place. I just pictured somebody <laughs> taking a puppy and like throwing it to like the <laughs> friend. Like, yeah. Is that what it was? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I admit. Yeah. Oh, sports. Yeah, sports place over here. Where I want to spike a puppy on the ground and that's the next <laughs> natural step. Um, before we jump in, uh, Stephen, do you want me to play the the beginning of the the song for you? I think you did that on the the. It's it's up to you guys. I wrote notes for each of them, so uh, we can do whatever. Okay. Yeah, if everybody wants a little. But I thought about that for this one, but um, uh, so much of it was it's just like uh, a man being beaten is the start of it and I was like oh okay yeah I'll know that song probably you know like there's not as much that's gonna like clue me into what the song holds they all are uh, kind of all over the place so okay as long as we can like have like a like a brief little like pause yeah. in there like that just now Let's see what I did there <laughs> producing um then uh, then I can like you know kind of edit in yeah, music or totally. whatever but um Okay. Otherwise, let's uh, let's let's get into it. So Sweet. we'll we'll start it off with uh, the first track, Mister Self Destruct. 
Stephen, the the track, as you had mentioned, begins with uh, somebody being beaten, mm-hmm. um, and it's from a George Lucas film. Have you uh, have you ever seen THX? Is it eleven thirty eight? Is that how it's pronounced, or is it one one three eight? I've always said eleven thirty eight. Yeah, I was going to say that's one that I've always never really known how to say. I think I say eleven thirty eight. Um, but yeah, I've seen it. It's been a long time, but um, uh, it's a it's a pretty cool like sci fi film that Lucas did really early on. Yeah. That's like way different than like Star Wars. Um, uh, oh, like American Graffiti. It's like it's like that, but sci- with spaceships, pretty much. Oh, okay, um, I get it. I would actually yeah. say American Graffiti is probably closer to Star Wars than um, <laughs> that's true than to, <laughs> to THX. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I don't remember this this necessarily because there's a there's this clip of a of a man being beaten from that movie in this that I, I don't remember that necessarily. It's been a long time, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I like that this is the song that kicks off the album it, it starts with energy like ramping up from that sample into the song um i like that quite a bit um and uh the the whispered lyrics in the uh, the chorus and the bridge um i thought were kind of cool and uh I, I i was a little bit surprised because i don't really think of um nine inch nails as having traditional like song structures especially on songs like um my favorite nine inch nails song is the perfect drug and it, 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 it almost seems like Trent Reznor gets bored of, like, making a song. And he's, he's like, okay, so I've got verse, chorus, verse, chorus. Um, here's an, an entirely different song. I'm just going to tack that on the end, and we'll call it good. But it, but it works yeah. somehow. That song is, uh, the drums in that song are insane. And, like, the, the, the thing I love about that one is they made that song... They did a video for it, which is very weird. And I know why they've tried to sort of bury it and forget about it. Because Reznor, he looks like he looks like a weird um, emotional vampire, like Lestat, like Anne Rice. <laughs> He's got like weird long hair and like a, this weird wardrobe. It's a, it's not a Nine Inch Nails video at all in, in terms of their normal thing. Um, then they basically he would never talk about it in interviews. They never played it again for like 30 years, and then. I think it was last year they played it live for the first time and people lost their minds because it was this like <laughs> piece of their history that they just refused to acknowledge. It would be like if suddenly yeah. uh, Disney Plus was like, we're bringing back the Star Wars uh, holiday special yeah, and right. we're making it into a series. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what are your what are your thoughts on on this song, David? I like it. Um, I like the uh, I like how it kind of it's a little sort of microcosm of the whole album. Uh, altogether mm-hmm. because it starts off with sort of nonsense noises and someone being beaten. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But then the way the energy of it takes off right away, the like, like it comes right away with that hiss and like fast beat. Um, yeah, it's it's cool. I I always forget which songs are which until I'm listening to them because the mm-hmm. titles on this album especially are so crazy. I mean, it was like earlier when I was like, yeah, yeah, Wish is that song from from uh, Cabin in the Woods and then it's like oh wait no it's called Last it's like two songs that just have one word titles yeah. and <laughs> he, he likes that a lot yeah <laughs> and uh, I'll probably be muting my mic throughout just to remind myself of some of these songs because I never remember them by their very uh, vague names <laughs> <laughs> well speaking of names um, there are two songs on this album with the word pig in it mm-hmm. and um i did like initially have difficulty trying to figure out which song was which until i listened back to it last night so uh the next song track two is piggy and um this one has a more relaxed feel to it hey, pig. Yeah, you. Hey, 
you did listen to the Kids Bop version of this, correct? I listened to the Kids Bop yeah. version. Yeah, it's very relaxing. And yeah, somehow more haunting than yeah. you would think. Yeah, way more creepy. Um, I, I have a, uh, a phonogram in my living room that I throw bricks at uh, just to give it a little bit of wobble, you know, throw the, throw the tuning off a little bit. Um, and yeah, I was really freaked out. Um, so I was looking at the lyrics and I was like, what is this about? Like, it, it seems like it's, it, it could be any number of things. And I, I saw any number of things as far as like who Piggy is. And uh, one of the things I saw is that it's allegedly about Richard Patrick, who is the uh, guitarist for, um, he played guitar on the, the first Nine Inch Nails album and uh, would later go on to become the lead uh, lead singer, the front man of the band Filter. They would call him Piggy in the band. And around this time when the album was being made is kind of when he left. I don't know if any of that's true, but I saw it online, so I'm willing to take it as fact. Yeah, um, yeah. so <laughs> what are your, your guys' thoughts on, on this particular song? Mine was pretty simple. It just said okay. <laughs> I should have done notes on mine because I don't have I don't have them on each uh, track. But I like the song too. I think this was one of the first times that I noticed um, Reznor will do. Uh, I think it was in the song. We'll do little motifs that he'll bring back. Sometimes he'll bring them back in the same album. Sometimes he'll do it decades later. He'll bring in like little like you know four note motifs that he'll play at the end. So as a kid, I remember being constantly confused where I would try to find a song and it would be on a totally different album because he would maybe allude to that song musically in another one you know later. Um, and uh, I also just saw this that they, they did the further down the spiral remix album the next year, and the remix of this uh, had Dave Navarro on guitar. So maybe there's another Jane's Addiction. He was in Jane's Addiction, oh, right? Okay. I think. So mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I like it. It's uh, like you said, it's pretty chill. It's got a, um, I like the bass in it a lot. I like the bass line, and the, especially in the yeah. verses. A lot of the early Nine Inch Nell stuff, I had previously thought just from like hearing it on the radio that it, it was almost just like vocals and drums, and then like the guitar was really like they only put like treble and like half the mids yeah. in there so it's like very like loud and almost like screechy mm. and i thought oh they they must not use like bass and you can't really hear a lot of bass on the radio but listening back to the album especially with like earbuds in i could hear the bass and yeah there's like a, a pretty solid bass line in there yeah yeah you definitely have to have the like something that's going to bring it out because i even listen re-listening to it around the house here we have a, a couple of smaller like old first gen crappy echo dots in our bathroom and or one in each bathroom upstairs and when i listen to the album i listened to it when i was taking a shower at one point and i just like to get sexy and weird with it sometimes <laughs> and, and this song came on and i couldn't tell it was this song because the bass wasn't coming through at all on the little speaker oh that's and, funny yeah. oh yeah but when i went into the other room where i have a larger speaker and i have them connected so that it was playing at the same time then i was like oh it's piggy i could hear it there so I would imagine mm-hmm. a lot of that's how he mixed it, because Reznor's a big um, uh, proponent of using like stuff that people aren't using yet. So I think like this was a yep. very early album that they did stuff with like Apple computers, where he was taking mm-hmm. stuff in, recording it in an analog way, converting it digitally, and then messing with it, you know, in post. So I would imagine there's some stuff that probably just sounds wonky anyway, because it was. <laughs> done in a way that wasn't even really normal back then and it's 25 years later now which is pretty cr- crazy he did that stuff 
Yeah. 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 I noticed that uh, he was credited for playing drums on this and that I guess he was like doing a sound check on the drums and he liked it. So he just just kept it in there. But um, yeah, they 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 uh, I guess he really experiments with the sounds of different things. Like sometimes they'll use a drum machine. Sometimes they'll use live drums, but the drums will be mic'd a specific way or ran through filters or even uh, he'll take the snare from from the live drum kit and then mix that with like an 808 from a drum machine or something like that. He's yeah. kind of all over the place or sampling from other artists or whatever. I think that's one of the reasons a lot of people don't like with Teeth is because it's all analog. Like that whole album, I think for the most part, is all analog instruments, drums. Um, Dave Grohl plays drums on most of it. Um, he brought him in. And I love it. I, I love that sound. I love that they did that. Uh, but mm-hmm. I think amongst Nine Inch Nails fans, it's a pretty divisive album because a lot of people don't really like that he did something that straightforward, maybe, is kind of the vibe I've gotten. Because um, it is weird. The first time you hear it, and a lot of those songs, I think, were when they got a lot more radio airplay because they were way more friendly to listen. That was, like, every day is exactly the same. Um, uh, what was the other one that was really popular? from The Collector. Um I think was off that album. Anyway, but yeah, it's mm-hmm. it, it immediately makes it easier to listen to when you have instruments that you can properly hear, as opposed to like yeah. we filtered this one through an orgasm and now it's you know <laughs> on a floppy disk. Like it, it gets real weird. That's a real thing, yeah. Which is half joke because yeah, there yeah. is an orgasm in this album that they that they messed with. Well, the the end of Piggy. Um, well, I guess the, the, the bridge leads directly to the song's outro, which has the drums still playing, but there's also, like, sample drums played mm-hmm. arrhythmically over the top of that, and it's kind of all over the place. But I guess it represents the, the album's protagonist. Um, he's going through a, like, chaotic state of mind or, you know, something to that effect. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that stuff, concept, I like concept albums. This sounds so stupid. I don't mean it this way as a concept. Because yep. it, I like the idea of telling a cohesive story, and I think sometimes it can work really well. I think most times you either get something where it's too vague, and so people are like, you're ascribing meaning to stuff that may or may not be there. Um, or it can get too detailed, like Coheed and Cambria, where then you got to bring Peter David in to write a novel that explains it, and you got to do a comic <laughs> book series and all that sort of stuff, and which is fine, too, and that's cool in its own way, but it's kind of a slippery slope. So I, some mm. of the interpretations with some of the stuff, I don't, it's not that I don't buy it. I'm just kind of more like, okay, sure. You know, it's, if you're telling me that drums played a certain way means something about this character state of mind, I can't tell you you're wrong, but mm-hmm. I also am not going to be like, Oh, of course. <laughs> like I'm, <laughs> it's, it's, it's noises. <laughs> like I, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Well, let's uh, let's move on to track three, which is Heresy. My only note on this one really is uh, that he sings in falsetto on the verses, and uh, otherwise, that uh, like Stephen said, it's it's okay. It's fine song. This one was for me. So I grew up conservative Christian. I kind of alluded to that earlier. Uh, I was my dad was a pastor in high school. I was heavily involved in church. I was heavily involved in FCA at school, even though I wasn't an athlete. So I, I did all of like the music at FCA at school and like led all that stuff. So obviously I wasn't like you know a super conservative Christian dork. Uh, just you can tell from the other stuff that I was into. But there was enough Christian in me that I, when listening to Heresy, would have a little bit of like. <laughs> I can get in trouble with God for listening to the song because <laughs> lyrically it is like so at the tender age of 16, 17 there was a little bit of that 
conservative fear left uh, in me. Uh, that's my main takeaway when I hear this song. I'm like, oh yeah, it's that one. It's that one evil, <laughs> that sat- devil satanic song. song. <laughs> it's the devil's notes. <laughs> I'm kind of with you the same way. Um, what I was saying earlier about this album or those songs that I know from this album being like uh, part of my, my teenage angsty youth. Um, this one, I didn't know about it, but it, it, when I listened to it now, it made me feel about that like suburban angsty youth that I went through. <laughs> yeah. um, and I was also, I grew up um, like conservative Christian and uh, listening to this now and having like, you know, changed my views on so many things and listening to this now, uh, I was like, I like this song. This is pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, so it was yeah, the first one on the album I liked a lot. Yeah. It's funny because oh, like, okay. uh, Nine Inch Nails and then also Manson like Manson was like the big one for conservative yeah. Christians back then where everybody was like so against mm-hmm. him and stuff but I remember even back then I got into him a little bit after Nine Inch Nails and bought his greatest hits like listening to Manson there there was that element where you're like this is nowhere near as bad as people used to tell me and then there would yeah. you come yeah. across a song or a lyric and you'd be like eh that part is <laughs> like, that, <laughs> that little moment I see why like yeah I wouldn't have let me listen to this either so <laughs> there's I see why moments. Bob Dole did not like this yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, okay, let's move on to March of the Pigs, which is track four. Um, this song starts as a banger and then slows down, and it's a, a very simple song structure. It's two verses, two choruses, and then he's like, I'm out. I'm done. It feels like it's 40 seconds long. I think it's probably yeah. like mm-hmm. a minute or, or probably two minutes long maybe, but it, it feels mm-hmm. very, very quick. This is one of my favorite Nine Inch Nails songs probably. It was one of the first ones I ever heard, and I think it's like one of the best examples of how they can be accessible in certain moments but then very quickly we'll sort of flip you off and be like we're all going to stop this like weird humping that we're doing on our instruments and I'm going to play <laughs> piano by myself yeah. uh, and then yeah. we're going to do it again and then I'm going to play piano again and we're done and suck our nuts and like we're out like it's <laughs> it's a very sort of like chaotic thing but it still has little moments where you're like oh there's Reznor later playing Hurt and or there's Reznor mm. later teaming up with Atticus Ross like you can kind of see and feel moments where it's other parts of him that are there um, and it's the, the the tempo of it it's just so weird like it's got that mm-hmm. super crazy I'm trying to remember what the time signature is 7-8 uh, so and then uh, yeah. and then one bar of 8-8 eight, eight. so <laughs> Wikipedia says in effect a 29-8 time signature <laughs> so <laughs> it's real weird and yeah. I love listening to people cover this song because they always suck. Like, no one can really do this song the way that they do because it's just so weird. And it feels like mm-hmm. one of those things that they got right once. And then they're like, all right, that's the one we're putting on the album. And then we'll just see how it goes when we try to yeah. play it live from now on. <laughs> yeah, it seemed like one of those songs where it was, like, not properly quantized, where he was just like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that's yeah, that's how I meant to, to, to do it, you know? I'm not saying that he did do that, but if it were me and it came out to be something like that I'd be like oh yeah yeah no I'm yeah, uh, yeah that's, that's uh, the uh, art that's the art of it I've listened to yeah. this song at this point hundreds of times over the years you know past 15 years or whatever uh, I was on in the car the other day I still can't sing to it like I still can't really sing along to it exactly right like cause it's not lyrically but just like the the, the vibe of it is so weird it's mm-hmm. just such a mm-hmm. just such a crazy song I really like that piano part, though. Normally, I'm like a, a very like high energy focused when it comes to music, but I love the uh, I love how it just like falls down to just vocals and piano yeah. at that one point. 
kicks back up and then the way it ends with the uh, the vocals and piano as well um steven what about you what did you think about this song um you guys have said so many better things uh i put this alternated it's hard and soft sections you got really hard you got really soft you got really hard you got really soft um well steven you don't you don't normally listen to like heavy stuff no you know i've i've not not put you through the the paces i've i'm just i'm working on making you a comic reader first <laughs> yeah right yeah um, i will later can uh transform you into a metal head um we'll wash that juggalo makeup off and uh get you converted You'll, you can try um it's it's a tattoo <laughs> on my face now um no yeah you you've shown me like uh you know we've done some like cover songs uh, episodes other things with music and stuff and in, and in just personal life too um but yeah i'm not not that hardcore of a, of a guy in general like um you guys were talking about lyrics and stuff earlier like lyrics are really important to me i would say the first time i listen to a song i am just going on the melody and whatever but um after that i'm i'm like i like to dissect things and hear what they're saying and whatever and um, so a lot of, yeah, this type of stuff for me is not where I gravitate towards. So I was trying to approach this as like, which ones do I know? What do I think about them now? And then the ones that I don't know, you know, how do they affect me or whatever? And, um, more like I was saying earlier, the whole album has, it's very intriguing, uh, the concept of it. Um, and it's more just him doing this weird stuff. And is it's like, is he a genius or not? And um, he seems to have influenced a lot of people, though. You know, like, a, even if I don't love this, I'm like, yeah, but I, I like where I like that this is in the world and what came after it, you know? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of overall for the album. So. Well, speaking of the ones that, you know, uh, the next song, track five yeah. is Closer, which is one of Nine Inch Nails most popular songs. And David, as you mentioned before, uh, a lot of people take it as a lust anthem, but really uh, the song explores obsession and self-hatred. Um, Trent Reznor is not a fan of it being a, a lust anthem, but I mean, it's it kind of belongs to the people at this point, you know, uh, whether they're wrong or not. A lot of people have fucked to it. Yeah. Also, he's not doing himself any favors with that lyric either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this song isn't about croissants, but I'm going to sing about croissants heavily for the next yeah. th- like 30 seconds. <laughs> this song has a uh, like a very specific like opening, like you know what it is as soon as yeah. you, you hear that that bass and, and snare kick in you know um which is a sample this, right isn't that like an iggy pop um yeah yeah he sampled a uh, a kick drum from an iggy pop record and then like distorted it and and you know flipped it around a little bit um but yeah you can you can tell it's it's from that source um i was kind of surprised to see how many people had covered the song like live you know, or, or otherwise, but um, from artists that I wouldn't really expect, I saw that uh, MGMT in this moment, and then, uh, of course, the uh, the darkest of all metal, Maroon Five, <laughs> have covered the song. Seriously? <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's it's one of those those uh, like I think this is one of those modern rock songs <laughs> that people just know, like. I, I don't really remember this song being like in movie soundtracks or anything. Maybe it has been, but it just seems like one of those songs that people have grown up with yeah. in a way. So it's, it's just kind of um, in the public consciousness a little bit. And, and maybe that's why it kind of stretches through those different types of groups and uh, makes them want to cover it. But I, I have to track down this Maroon 5 cover uh, now because it, it seems like just terrible. I can't even imagine that. That sounds so funny. No. Like, I was hoping you'd go for like a Carrie Underwood 
or something, you know? I'm just into that. <laughs> just to I, it's got to be gross, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, just I, even if they played exactly the same way, the fact that it's, what's his name, Adam Levine? Or Levine, Levine, Levine yeah. yeah. Just that it's him and the, like, real sweaty, like, suburban mom vibe they have. Like, right away, I'm like, I'm sure this song sounds way more, like, way more gross with them singing it. song i didn't at first when i first heard it because like i said people were quoting it to me i was like yeah i don't like this as much as the other stuff the moment where it clicked for me the most um was when i saw it used in the remake of the hitcher uh which is not a great remake but it's uh there's a moment where sean bean is, is showing up again like on the horizon and as soon as his car comes up over the horizon it starts doing that that immediate Ooh. kind of like snare or a little yeah the nightclubbing thing or whatever from Iggy Pop um, and when that kicked in in that movie I was like oh yeah this song is great like I, I it was like I kind of got it then Ooh. I was like I, I, I get it not still not one that I go back to a lot but um, I get why it it caught on I think more now just in terms of a, a beat I think people like that yeah I would mm-hmm. I mean do you guys remember playing it on the radio like did they just bleep out the oh swear words or like how did they it's very it's yes. a very pivotal part of the song. I know, yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so yeah, like this is not one I would listen to on an album. Yeah. Because it's always on the radio. Like yeah. it's constantly, it's in the rotation. Like here in Oklahoma, they run through like every popular grunge song, they run through <laughs> closer, and then they play uh what what's that band that's from Stillwater, Steven? Uh, All American Rejects. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, is this the from here? So, uh, but eclectic. Yeah, yeah. So on the on the 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 censored version, they just omit that that vocal, so it's just blank. Okay. I want to you like an animal. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> so you and, get um, it. You get it though. It, yeah. I want to pet you like an animal. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Which still works. Yeah. You it's know. A petting, petting zoo oh, situation. Yeah. I kind of like that better. Uh-huh. It's kind of nice. David, I think you've just named the episode. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> um, so the, uh, the the funny thing is about like the censoring, I've, I've heard it on the radio so many times that when I listen to it uncensored for this recording, <laughs> You're like, Whoa. like the, the way the, the word fuck is said, it's like just like so abbreviated. It's just like I want to you like an animal. Like it's very, very short. Yeah. Like if you've ever heard a uh, like a, a radio edit on uh, on the radio and then listen to the album, sometimes the way that curse word is pronounced is like very prominent, mm-hmm. you know, because they they know what they're doing. But this is like very, it's almost like in the background, almost as if like you had this song on, nobody had heard it before, it was just like playing as you were like having a conversation with a friend or whatever. They may not even like hear that 
that word. Right. But mm. it, yeah, it's definitely something that needed to be be censored. You know, it's got a great video too. Little mm-hmm. little monkey on a cr- on a cross, um, really <laughs> trying to not piss anybody off. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was gonna say. Is I remember this a lot just from the controversy over it in general with the the words in it and then the video and stuff. I don't even remember that video. It was just like, well, yeah, they can't show that video or they're they're gonna censor that video or whatever. So I think something about that really got in the public consciousness um, that year, you know. So. Yeah, that, and that was one of the things I think that it, that I had a little bit of a fascination with early on too, because there was still some of those horror aspects of me that I didn't necessarily know I really liked horror a whole lot then, but I was still sort of fascinated by it because Reznor had other controversies like Happiness and Slavery. I think was the one song where it's got the the one dude who can't feel pain in real life, so he'll do like he used to do stage shows and stuff where he would mm-hmm. like. Uh, hammer nails through his dick and like crazy stuff and so there's this video where his like balls are getting pulled apart by a machine and it's like drilling holes into his arms and I think a lot of it's real and they had to edit so much of it out for the for TV and then the broken I think it was the broken EP they did like a video version of it and Mm -hmm. Trezner made four different versions of it with like very slight variations and gave them out to close personal friends that way, if it ever leaked, and it did, hmm. he knew which friend was responsible, <laughs> so he could, like, track them down or whatever. Not to kill him, although maybe he did, I don't know. <laughs> and it had a lot of crazy stuff, too. Like, it had, in between songs and videos, people, like, a woman being tortured and cut with a chainsaw and, like, all this horror stuff Jesus. that was very, like, hostile, torture porn-esque. So it's weird. Like, that stuff is pretty much totally absent now. But, like, back then, it was definitely a big part of the DNA of him and the band, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to people like covering or referencing this song closer, um, Weird Al has paid tribute to the song twice really? on like two different albums. He had like a, a polka, like um, he took a bunch of like popular songs and used lyrics from them to make this like polka, like medley or mm-hmm. whatever. And then at another point, he had uh, used Closer's lyrics for uh, for a different song. But anytime it got to the word fuck, it was like censored out for like some cartoon noise or sound effect or whatever. <laughs> um, but guys, most importantly, the song Hot Dog by everyone's favorite band Limp Biscuit references Closer. <laughs> Wondered if this would get brought as up. Well as, <laughs> as well as other uh, Nine Inch Nails song on its chorus. reached out to Fred Durst to see if he was happy that he did that and uh, he gave a one word response <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was worth it we were all I, happy with that that was a great yeah that prop was worth it for the listeners at home uh, Brent just put on a backwards cap before saying that I mean a red, a red cap I That's mean right. color we specific had uh, an actual celebrity in our midst who came into that I meant I want to run that for you Brent that was real. Thank you. Thank you for, for <laughs> suspending the uh, the image of the show here. Um, so let's move on to track six, which is Ruiner. Um, and uh, I'm trying to re- trying to remember the song here. Yeah, um, I, I'm going to be upfront with you. Second half of this album until we get to Hurt and uh, a couple of exceptions. <laughs> kind of just white noise in my memory. like cause, Because they kind of mm-hmm. feel that way, too. Like you have little moments mm-hmm. in there where they burst out 
Um, but some of them, yeah, or I'm, I'm going to be like, yeah, I remember this one. It's called Reptile. Uh, it's called <laughs> Reptile, and that's going to be the end of my thing. <laughs> that's fair enough. Well, we're for, for Ruiner. Um, I wrote down a note here that uh, portions of the verse lyrics are nearly indecipherable. <laughs> like, I, I didn't even know there was, there was actual lyrics. Mm. Uh, it just sounded like he was, like, doing mouth noises, like ASMR mouth noises or whatever. <laughs> Um, but it wasn't until I pulled it up on Genius, I was like, oh, he's actually, oh, he's saying, saying words here. Okay, all right, fair enough. Um, and then I noticed there's an odd guitar solo over lo-fi music later in the song, um, which is, uh, I don't know, I, I read something about Trent Reznor not really understanding or, like, being that interested in guitar until he brought in some musicians for this album, and then he was like, oh, okay, I see like the versatility mm-hmm. of it but it seems like a lot of the time it's like let's make some weird noises with a guitar yeah. and <laughs> approach it from that angle you know um, do you guys have any thoughts on on this song uh for ruiner i i had just put a note that um the first time i i listened to this album there's another song later on a warm place that was the first one that i understood their connect like his connection to film scores but upon re-listening to it for my notes, uh, listening to Ruiner and this whole experience and stuff, that's when I was, I, it almost felt like a parallel this album to the movie Fight Club. Like you could see that, that like Mr. Self-Destruct in the beginning and stuff. Like it, it felt like this um, spiral of someone's life, you know, and you don't know, understand things. And I was like, oh, this is like why Reznor and Fincher are such a great match. Like this song was like, it connected me of like, oh, they're the way that they, uh, approach things almost like it makes sense that they would meet up eventually in, in some sort of media. Um, mm-hmm. But other than that, uh, I'm also kind of this middle part. The next song too, I have uh, just a note, just a, lots of noise to me. Uh, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> um, David, did you have any thoughts on Ruiner before we move forward? Not big ones. I mean, it's uh, th- this area is one of those, and uh, there's a lot of Nine Inch Nails stuff that's in this kind of nebulous area where I have it in playlists, and because it's so mixed in, where I don't remember the names of them. Mm. Um, there are some albums where I can tell you every single song title, and this isn't one of them. So uh, some of these in here, like I, I just muted my mic and played the song, and right away I was like, dun, 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 dun. I was like, okay, yeah, it's that one. <laughs> so I, I'll remember them that way. Um, but no, nothing, nothing big, nothing major. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I tell you what, let's move on to track seven, The Becoming. And uh, I have to say, as a surprise to me, this was actually my favorite track on the album. There you go. Um, I, w- I was listening to it in my car earlier this week, and I'd never heard this song before. And I was driving, I was like, okay, this is this is kind of cool. But man, it's um, it's that bridge. That bridge gets me. I fucking love it. Um, it's a, a another atypical song structure where you've got two verses and then a bridge and then an outro, but the acoustic guitar on the bridge um, leads into what sounds like the fax machine to hell, <laughs> and then there's like some double bass over it. Okay, this is one that goes da na 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 da na na na. That's how I remember these songs now. Yeah, I'm totally with you. Because at the beginning of this one, it sounds like I think I told my friend one time that it sounds like <laughs> this is so offensive. It sounds like two Transformers fingering each other. Like it, it's, it's kind of like scree- like screeching metal. Like that's how he this, recorded it. Yep. This, <laughs> yeah. This song, rem- I do have something to say about this. It reminds me a lot of what he ends up doing in the project the next album okay. it, it kind of oh, sounds okay. like a stepping stone mm-hmm. for sure um, the the double bass on this um, even though it's like electronic or programmed or whatever I just love it I'm a huge fan of of double bass and this is like the the heaviest 
portion of this album, I think, and uh, I liked it a lot. I was very much looking forward to going back and looking over the the lyrics to this song. I don't remember what they are at this point. Yeah, they're about suicide. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. What a twist. Cool. <laughs> what a twist for this album. <laughs> Yeah, this was the one that, to me, it was like, I think it was just really hardcore. I just, that's, that's the one that I put it was just lots of noise. So I'm, I'm curious. I don't remember that <laughs> acoustic guitar. I don't really remember this right now. Uh, just going off my notes. But um, that makes sense of when Brent was like, this is my favorite one. I was like, yeah, I can see why I didn't like this one. <laughs> it's, it's that hardcore disconnect. Yeah. Um, David, do you have any other thoughts on it? Uh, no, I dig the song. I, I do. It, and it reminds me... Um, the, the fingering Transformers part uh, obviously is a, <laughs> is a joke, but also it does sound like a lot of the stuff too that they do in the Fragile, but then also in some places some of the harsher scores that he does with Atticus Ross, mm. like moments in the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo uh, score yeah. get a little bit in that direction. Which you mentioned that earlier, Steven. I'm a massive fan of all of those scores. So oh, yeah. Network one probably the most. Uh, like you, I, so I listen to that so much, and I still listen to that one a lot. So. I I used to have a videography company, and I used Hand Covers Brews, which is like the main yeah, theme, yeah. I I've guess. Used that right? too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've just used it for like weddings and stuff. I've used it for anything. Like it works for no matter what. And yeah. it's so funny to think of like the Nine Inch Nails frontman, you know, did that or whatever. That but, whole thing uh, when they announced it. Not to go up on too much of a tangent, but just yeah. when they announced it, I was like, "This is so nuts." And then when you heard it, you were like, "This is so like, like." Uh, not positive, positive, just fun. Like it's very, mm-hmm. parts of it are very sort of like, you get a lot of energy out of it, uh, which is not what I was expecting. And yeah. then it all culminates in them winning an Oscar, which is insane. <laughs> like, totally weird. Yeah. <laughs> so, but deserve it, man. It was awesome. It was, uh, yeah. yeah, very good score. I like that one a lot. I, I need to listen to the other ones. I didn't, um, I only, I've only seen the girl with the dragon tattoo once and gone girl once like the movies. So I haven't gotten to those soundtracks as much, but yeah, I like the social network movie a whole lot as well. Yeah. Me and too. Uh, that score is just so good. So they're also doing the, uh, Watchmen TV show on HBO. Oh, badass. Time. Yeah. That'd yeah. be great. I'm excited, I'm excited for that. That seems in- intriguing. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think David about, uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross doing the, God, what was the name of that soul? That, that Pixar that movie, Pixar the jazz movie. <laughs> it's pretty. Yeah. It's pretty weird. I, I, as a fan, I'm excited. Just anything they do. I mean, if if they announce mm-hmm. them on something, I'm I'm already interested in it. They they did the score to that Ken Burns Vietnam War documentary too, yeah, which I, I, I still haven't that. heard it. Uh, they've done a lot more than people I think realize because they also did. Um, uh, what's that one movie about the Boston bombing? Uh, that uh, Patriots say, Day. Say hello to your mother. Yeah, for me. yeah, Patriots Day. He's in it. Yeah, say hello. Um, <laughs> um, they did that score. Like okay, they, they yeah. sneak a lot of stuff in, and so I don't really know how it'll work. I would imagine it'll probably be one of those things where you can't pick it out. Is mm-hmm. my guess, um, mm-hmm. unless it's something you know very out of left field, or they find a, a right way. But it was pretty bizarre news when they announced that. Didn't seem <laughs> right. like a good a good fit. Well, we're going to start referring to him as Disney's Trent Reznor <laughs> yeah, moving forward. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. he kind of he kind of is because he doesn't he have a uh, he's got a uh, well, maybe not Disney's, but he's a big part of the Apple infrastructure too, which a lot of like diehard yeah. fans don't like. Like he's he's That's got so like a, I don't know if he still does it, but he has a show or he had a show on Apple Music and was like their hmm. main music curator or whatever. So he's. I mean, if you're one of those people, yeah, he's sold out. Like, <laughs> if that means something to you, I would never argue that he hasn't. He's not the guy from this album anymore, but I think I still think he's good. I like it. Yeah. 
Um, we'll tell you what, let's move on to track eight titled I Do Not Want This. And um, this is like the first time I, I had, well, I guess it's the first appearance on this album, but like in previously listening to it, um, I didn't catch it, but uh, there are some interludes on this. Uh, the first one contains rhyming words, but the second one doesn't, um, which is kind of kind of strange. Um, but I mean, it, it works for what he he wants it to be, I suppose. I mean, it's his his music, so he can uh, do it how he wants. Um, did you guys have any thoughts on uh, I do not want this? Do you want this? <laughs> uh, it, to me, this is one of those as a super, like as a big fan of Nine Inch Nails. This is one of those. Hellboy situations where I'm like, hey, even a, even you know the worst Hellboy stories still have Hellboy fighting a monster in it. You know, it's kind of like yeah. I, there, there's still something for me there. This is one of those. I, you know, I think kind of the second half is has a handful of those where it's like I like it because I like Nine Inch Nails. I like it because I like what they do. Uh, it, it would never be a song where I'd be like, you got to listen to this if you've never heard Nine Inch Nails. Um, it, it's fine and it does the and you know switching up the tempo thing where it's mostly pretty chill and then it speeds up a little bit for the chorus if you want to call it a chorus um Mm -hmm. but you can pick it out you know you know right away if you hear it like oh yeah it sounds like nine channels one of those kind of (laughs) things and see here we go i like this one more than the other ones so (laughs) (laughs) i think maybe because i can pick out the lyrics a little bit more and since that's kind of what i'm hunting for as well in there because uh, I'd written down Don't Tell Me How I Feel is like one of the lyrics that I disliked. This also made me think of like, had I known this song as a, as a, as a youth, I would have used this as another like rallying cry or whatever. But, uh, but yeah, I actually like this song. Um, I don't have much else noted about it, but, um, but yeah, it was all right. Um, but it's like there's a song for everyone on this album, you, you know, for, for eclectic yeah. tastes. Um, so let's move on to the, the next track, Big Man with a Gun. Steven, did you know you were going to be listening to some gangster raps uh, when you listened to this album? I was reading about um, that. I was so confused. <laughs> yeah, so um, the... What did I write? Okay, so uh, Trent's... Um, the, the note I have on here was almost indecipherable. I was writing this in the dark like an idiot. Um, but... I guess he was making fun of the like misogynistic gangster rap mm. of the time, and um, this song somehow by conservatives at the time, they were referring to it as a gangster rap song. So I don't know if they had like listened to it or they just like spread the lyrics around or something yeah. like that, and they they just kind of got each other like pissed off or, or, or what the case was. But um, it's it's very much not a a gangster rap song. <laughs> yeah. um, it's, it's, it's very much a, a, a rock song. Um, and I, I also saw that it was the last song recorded for the album, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think this was one where they could be wrong. I know there was one song where he fought with the producer a lot about putting it on the album. I think it might have been Big Man with a Gun, where the producer, mm-hmm. their producer that came in was like saying, don't put this on there. And he was mm-hmm. adamant that they should. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of a forgettable song for me. I honestly didn't remember. When I was reading, the, I read about the album before I started listening to it again for this. Mm-hmm. And when I got to the controversy stuff, I was like, I don't even remember this song. And <laughs> it, when you listen to it, it's, it is kind of strange. It, it definitely seems like something... Uh, I mean, I, when this happened, I would have been five, so I don't remember. But the it seems like one of those controversies from back in that era where controversies were coming out, out of all of pop culture stuff. And yeah. it just kind of seemed like somebody was looking for something to use. Because, um, mm-hmm. 
Isn't that weird how that doesn't really seem like something that happens anymore? Like, I'm sure it still kind of does, but I would imagine things have got to be filthier than ever by those standards back then. Mm -hmm. But you don't have anybody coming out and being like, we got to protect the kids from these rap lyrics or whatever. Like, it, it kind of feels like collectively everybody's kind of been like, yeah, that's that's a stupid thing to be mad about now. <laughs> like, right, but yeah. back then, like, especially like video games too, like it was, it was crazy how much that stuff was in like in yeah. Congress even. And it's nuts. They were talking about it all over the place. Yeah. It's so weird. Well, I mean the, the current president dipshit Donnie, he was out there and he was, he was trying to get people riled up about video games again, like semi recently yeah. because of the, uh, one of the, the many shootings yeah. that we've got here. But um, it doesn't seem like that really like held any water. No. People were just like, yeah, come on. Like we fucking know, like yeah. you're talking to the generation <laughs> that grew up on video games, yeah. you know, we're like fine. it's, yeah, we, we, we all moved past that. Thankfully. Oh, we don't have video games in other countries where they don't have shooting. So it's only in America, right? you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that made me think though, cause the note I had written down about this, um, as I was writing it, I thought about this, but also, uh, my wife, Amanda and I had watched, uh, the movie Clueless the other day. Yes. And there's a line from, uh, Travis in there where he says, uh, the way I feel about the Rolling Stones is how my kids will feel about Nine Inch Nails, so I really shouldn't give my mom such a hard time about it. And I thought about it during <laughs> this, and I was like, I think that it was such a controversy because they were just like, we don't know what this, this sounds like. It's industrial music, and there's lyrics we don't understand. Like, it just scared a group yeah, of people. Yeah, that's a good point. Right, yeah. They're like, they were like, mm -hmm. what are our kids into? Just the same way that their parents did with, like, fucking Elvis Presley and the Beatles and stuff, you know, where it's right. always mm -hmm. kind of been that way, but... I feel like we got to a certain level in the 90s and 2000s where it, things got a little, pushed the envelope a little bit more uh, with violence and violent lyrics or whatever ideas and stuff. And then we've, we've come out of that now or decades later and we're like, for the most part, we're okay. Like, we can see that like that didn't do anything and we, it, you know, we're still pushing that envelope now. And now right. I'm not even sure that Closer would even be that controversial of a song, and, you know, into itself. Like, it, right. It'd still blur out that lyric, whatever, but... You know, they for the most part, it wouldn't be as big of a deal. Um, so it's kind of interesting to to look back on that now and say, like, I don't think this is really affecting us in much of a way, other than like, you know, just entertainment. You know? Yeah. Right. Totally. Um, well, let's move on to track ten, which is a um, what I thought was an instrumental, but Genius tells me otherwise. Oh. Um, it's a song called "A Warm Place," and Stephen, you had mentioned previously yeah. that this is one of your most like songs. Well, this the is the one that I was first when I listened to it the first time, because I, uh, I thought it was just instrumental. I'm curious about that, but uh, it, mm -hmm. I was like, "Oh, this is just like uh, an instrumental. It's like a film score. Like, and it, it felt like um, something that I've listened to from him from the Social Network. And there's, I, I tried to listen to it again when I when I went back to write notes, but some song in the last half of this, there was actually even like a, a thing that I was like, "This is in the Social Network. Like, I remember this like piano thing." Um, and I don't know if it was in this song, though. I think it was in a different one. But it's where I finally realized, like, oh, like, I just didn't know Nine Inch Nails whenever I thought that that was a weird transition in the film. He was always kind of, like, floating there where I, I think it really works for, like, a, a visual medium as well. So, mm. Yeah. And there are, there um, are songs on Ghosts 1 through 4, Nine Inch Nails album that he used mm -hmm. in the Social Network soundtrack that they had to... Okay, they cool. had, there was some uh, Oscar controversy where they had to like mm. take those songs off of a version of the soundtrack because if they were on there, they were from a previous thing as part of the score and it wouldn't yeah. qualify for an Academy Award. So they had to do some sort of weird thing okay. 
because um, it had some stuff from the old album. So yeah, you you totally heard the right thing. I was curious to listen once I was reading about them and about Ghosts One Through Four. That sounded like more of my thing that I'd be yeah, interested to like see it. if there were. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, like I'd mentioned, there's some. I guess not really lyrics, but there's somebody like whispering. Uh, the best thing about life is knowing you put it together, and. I, I had read on Genius like a couple of different places. It's like at different parts of the song or whatever. Um, most consistently, I heard that it was at the beginning of the song. So I went back and listened to the intro of the song conservatively <laughs> 84 billion times. <laughs> and I, I smashed both of my earbuds into my ears. Like I got a vice grip, uh, put it around sure. my head just to hear it. It just like, just, just barely you can hear somebody just like whispering uh, it's like he was like whispering three rooms from the recording yeah. booth or whatever he, might have he been opened the, the cd-rom drive and just whispered it into the computer yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he whispered it onto each scene. what a visionary that's why you you heard <laughs> right yeah. um all right any other thoughts on this song nope no nope okay so let's move on to track 11 which is eraser and uh, this song, to me, felt uh, very haunting. Um, it uh, quickly goes from loud to quiet and then loud again. And um, A technique that they haven't done on this yeah. album so far. <laughs> <laughs> Brand new ground. <laughs> yeah. um, Stephen, what did you think about this song? Uh, I liked the, the drum beat that starts off with in this, and it has like a weird... Uh, I don't know much about music enough to talk about it or whatever, but it has almost like a weird... It feels like it... Um, should do something and then it kind of stops and does something else like uh i was like hey that's that's exciting i like that um i don't remember much of the rest of the song but i i'd written about that so yeah I like that part okay david yeah i agree i and i think kind of why some of this stuff is a little bit more cloudy in my memory is because and this would be a situation where i mean i was given you know people who read a lot into the concept album thing a little bit of crap mm. earlier um so, and then I'm going to immediately contradict myself now and do exactly that. Sure. I think I think that the uh, part of that is the way the album is structured. Because if we're going in that downward spiral, we're getting closer to the end, things are going to get more muddied and a little bit harder mm-hmm. to parse through and not nearly as radio-friendly, um, you know, comparatively, since that one song shouldn't be radio-friendly anyway. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's it is a little bit harder to get through, and it is it does feel like your mind and your ears are starting to just kind of wade through mud a little bit. Um, and I think that the even the album artwork reflects that. Um, and there's a there's some stuff on the Wikipedia about the artist who who did that, and he's he came back and I think did Hesitation Marks, which is their kind of newest album. Um, and it it has that sort of vibe and feel to it, which makes it harder for you to go back and be like, I just want to listen to a couple of real banging hot tracks from Nine Inch Nails. Let's listen to uh, <laughs> the one that has whispering at the beginning and <laughs> ends with a symbol. Like, it's it's harder to go back to that place. That being said, yeah, I, I still like all of these tracks. Um, and I made that joke about it being quiet and loud again. I mean, because he relies on that. But I, I do think mm-hmm. that that stuff, especially for the time, and even now when you listen to it, it doesn't really sound like anything else. Um, mm-hmm. And it would be even less popular now, I think, than back then. I, this is a weird situation where I don't think something was ahead of its time in the traditional sense. Um, because I think if you play it now, people would be even less into it, at least from a general public perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, its impact and influence on musicians, I think, was pretty big. So um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with some of these last ones until we get to Hurt, because that's where I think yeah. it turns a corner. 
Okay. Uh, well, let's get uh, the other tracks out of the way then. So uh, track 12 is called Reptile. And this song is very, like, slow and aggressive, and it has this, like, chugging guitar, which hasn't really, like, played a, a massive role on the album up to this point. Um, and then it... Uh, one of my favorite things about this album and, I guess, Nine Inch Nails in general is... Uh, the way Trent Reznor uses noise as a musical element. Um, back when I played in bands, I had like I had a sampler, and I would take noises and like samples and everything, and I would distort them and run them through this thing and whatnot. Not like I was, you know, Brit Reznor, you know, anything <laughs> like that. But but um, I I would I would try to turn samples into like something else entirely like one time I had this recording of my friends Ross and Adam like just talking about like a, a Game Boy and how like Adam's ex-girlfriend still had his Game Boy and everything and I, I took that and I like quantized it and I I did some like pitch shifts and everything and it turned into this like weird like creepy like noise or whatever mm-hmm. and uh, I turned it into like an intro for, for one of our band's sets but um, I really like the the way he makes new sounds and, and puts those out into his music, and it's it just makes it more difficult for other artists to to like cover or whatever. Like it, a Nine Inch Nails song has a very specific feel, and I think a lot of that is related to um, Trent Reznor using noise to to make those different musical elements. Yeah, there's a lot of like uniqueness to it. Um, that's very interesting and, it, and also like I was reading about them and how they play their live shows and it's always kind of like a new thing like he tries to see what they can create with new artists that he's on stage with like it's even he knows he's like I can't recreate that again like we got that's like you said earlier David it's like we got that one one take we're good you know that's it uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's the one that's the only time it worked it's interesting to see how they uh, even them can hardly emulate themselves you know mm-hmm uh, David, any thoughts on Reptile here? Uh, I do think it's notable that it's as long as it is at the end. Because uh, you <laughs> yeah. you have that... Uh, he, he has kind of a thing. I mean, midway through, you've got songs that are about five-ish minutes. And then, yeah, you've got uh, a couple of shorter songs, and then it gets to, like, the seven-minute song, you know, right toward the end. Um, I also liked Reptile and Mortal Kombat, and uh, that's all I have for this song. <laughs> I thought about that, too. I was like, well, I could play Mortal Kombat to the song, I'm pretty sure. And this should be in that soundtrack. <laughs> oh, wait, is this a, is this actually a cover song from the Mortal Kombat, the game soundtrack? I wish. We earlier. Oh, oh, I God. wish. That, <laughs> that album is OG characters only, so, okay. yeah. It's a all bummer. Right. <laughs> Maybe he was trying out then. He was yeah. in the volume two. Yeah, he was going to be ready for the the second game. Exactly. Yeah, uh, inspired soundtrack. So let's talk about the title track, track thirteen, the downward spiral. Um, the opening. I can't, guys. I wrote this in super light pencil <laughs> on shitty paper here. Um, I'm going to press this up against my face. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What are you? Oh, okay. So the opening acoustic guitar riff is a slowed down version of the piano outro from Closer. Um, and I didn't I didn't catch that until I listened to it with earbuds on. I was like, boy, this sounds familiar. And uh, I was like, I don't know what this is. And of course, on Genius, it's like, oh, yeah, here, idiot. This is that's <laughs> what it is. That's why you literally just heard this. He loves those motifs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, the uh, there's a, a spoken word detailing 
how the uh, the narrator took their own life on this, um, which I, I didn't notice when I just listened to it earlier this week, you know, in my car. Um, but yeah, listening back to it and just reading the, the dialogue as he says it, it's just like it sent a shiver up my spine. And uh, yeah, it's very like unsettling mm-hmm. to uh, to listen to. Um, Stephen, what did you think about this one? You said it. <laughs> <That's> okay. <laughs> I actually didn't have a note for this one. Um, yeah, it was very unsettling. I think it's uh, it's good for the album as a whole, but it wasn't my thing. And then it just leads into the the next song, which I, I think is awesome. So, okay, uh, David, anything on the downward spiral? Yeah, song? I'm right there with you guys. And I, this is one of those situations too, where I think Reznor, uh, if I remember correctly, I may have read this on Genius. So if you have it there, you might be able to confirm. But where he was like, it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, he killed himself. Or he, I think I read some quote where he was like, it's hard for people to understand this, but sometimes saying it out loud helps. Like mm-hmm. say, talking out loud about doing it um, can be helpful. Um, and it's weird. I am uh, not going to go off on a super crazy tangent, but there was some of this album that hit me a lot differently because I, I never had anxiety or depression or anything growing up. And just in recent years, in the past few years, started... Um, struggling more so with anxiety and maybe like mild, mild, mild depression, but uh, and started going to therapy and trying to do stuff to to get better. And so some of this stuff hit me differently. Definitely not in the same place where um, you know I'm having suicidal thoughts or dealing with like the really heavy stuff of this. And another big part of the album was also addiction um, and Tresner's own battles with I think uh, cocaine. I think he was addicted to at the time. And so that part did resonate with me a, a lot. Not, not so much that I've been there where I've had to say, you know, I'm talking out loud about suicide and, and, and doing it that and helps. But that idea that a lot of that stuff is so contradictory. Um, like a big thing for me lately was a couple years ago, my mom died super unexpectedly and talking to mm-hmm. other people about that have suffered, also suffered a loss, especially one that's very tragic and sudden and unexpected and everything. Um, it's it makes you feel better in a weird there's all these weird things yeah, sure. that you you don't really realize until you talk to someone else who also knows and you're saying some of the stuff out loud that it helps but on paper if you were to say that concept like that'll help if you do this it doesn't really make sense um so that was kind of one of my bigger takeaways from this song was that whole idea but then it also just le- i think leads into a lot of those like split theories on what this album actually mm-hmm. is is it a descent into suicide or is it a descent into depression that then has a way out that isn't suicide um and Reznor's never been somebody that is giving easy answers to stuff either so I think he kind of continued that here yeah for sure for sure um yeah that's a good way to to look at the lyrics I didn't I didn't see that on there or the the spoken word portion of it but that's yeah that's interesting that makes me feel better. <laughs> I'll be able to sleep tonight, yeah. I think, now. It's just a story, Britt. It's just a story. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. So uh, let's talk about the, the final song on this album, which is Hurt. Uh, this is another one of Nine Inch Nails' most popular songs. Hear this on the radio all the time as well. Um, though there's, a, a I think, a different version they play on the radio, which is the quiet version, which is on mm-hmm. the deluxe edition. Yeah. It's shorter, I think, too, right? Yeah. And uh, it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't have the like the weird wind noise uh, that plays throughout it <laughs> yeah. so prominently on the radio. Um, like the first time I listened to this, I was like, "Why is this sound weird? Is the mix <laughs> off in this? Did they like have to remix it for the radio?" But um, then I saw there was the the other version of it. Um, and uh, Stephen, you had mentioned that you you like this song, mm-hmm. yeah. Like as as far as one of their their more popular songs that you're familiar. Yeah, with. and I, I definitely was. Um 
introduced to the song through Johnny Cash's version and everything, but um, mm-hmm. I like this version a lot, and I had read something online uh, from Trent Reznor where he was saying what an interesting thing it was whenever Cash had uh, covered it, because this thing was so personal to him, to, to Trent Reznor's life and his experiences, that um, he was like, it's, it means just as much coming from Cash. Like, you can tell there's a lot there um, as an artist, and it's like a totally different thing, uh, which is just really interesting it's, it's it's very cool to have a song that kind of transcends uh, different musical stylings and genres and uh decades of you know like he was so much johnny cash was so much older than him from a different era of music and stuff that they could both you know make such beautiful songs out of this um but yeah listening to this i, I think it's good and i think it's better if i think about the album with the downward spiral the last song more like he's he's talking it out um and then thinking through this i don't i don't know the lyrics for this song but it uh, it makes sense as like a cap to the to the whole album. I think it feels it's interesting because everything else is so. It, it, it all makes me think of like violence, but like that industrial stuff. It's just like it's almost like you don't even need the lyrics. It's like it's all put out there as like a feeling. The whole album is like a feeling, and this ends in such a different way than everything that came before it. It's so much softer, and and uh, he's like it seems like he might have worked through some stuff, and now he's like ready for the next step. So I kind of like thinking about it that way a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, David, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, same. I mean, it's it's a great song, and um, I, so much stuff comes to my head when I hear this song, like different memories connected to it. And uh, the Cash cover was the first thing I ever heard. I mentioned that earlier. The mm-hmm. music video to that mm-hmm. Cash cover is a punch right to your heart's crotch. Like it's one of the <laughs> yeah. most emotional music videos I've ever seen. It makes me cry every time. Just seeing. The amount of like life that you can see in his face that he's gone through it's after june carter cash had died and like they show a couple of framed pictures of her and you know that this song is a completely different thing for him um yeah. the lyric change the the nine inch nails lyric is i wear this crown of shit i think and the johnny cash lyric is i wear this crown of thorns which you would get why he would want to change it but then also even just that i think changes the song so much because he had uh, a big part of his life was connected with Christianity and gospel mm-hmm. music, and it it does kind of make it his song. And that was like the that Reznor quote you mentioned. There's one part in there where he was he says something about like it's like seeing someone else with your partner, your girlfriend, or whatever, yeah. and just knowing like this song isn't mine anymore. And that kind of blew my mind. I, I love that both because I think to have somebody have that sort of insight, but then also that sort of respect is mm-hmm. is pretty rare. Um, and so there's that, uh, I have a weird memory of a friend one time we were at a bar and the song came on and he got very quiet and he looked at all of us and he was like, if we ever have to go into battle together as friends, I want this to be the soundtrack that plays as we, as we rush into the fight, (laughs) which was so specific that you can tell he had thought about it before, but I always think about that. Um, and then for whatever reason, I always think about how they used it as the, in the season, like the moments of a season finale of Rick and Morty. I think it was season two. Oh, really? Um, and that's a show I have. I have mixed feelings. Well, I don't have mixed feelings about the fandom. I kind of just don't like the fandom. I'm wearing a Rick and Morty t-shirt right now. I don't wear it out of the house anymore just because I'm like, I like Rick and Morty. I don't like what's around it. So I don't necessarily want to be associated with that. But I I think that's a show that when it works, it works really well. And it also plays a lot in the realm of stuff that is difficult. So you've got characters that are funny, but also deal with very real things. And they use it. And I think, again, I think it's season two finale. 
with Rick's character and Hurt comes in and right away yeah. I first time I saw that episode I was like oh that's crazy and then just makes me emotional because it still works really really well Ooh. unlike a lot of the mm-hmm. stuff on this album that's just kind of crazy and very very hard to get into I think the the melody the lyrics how it drives and increases and stuff it's so quiet and it sounds like the guitar he's playing is is built out of like broken music boxes or something like it's <laughs> it's very sort of t- like twangy and off but then it builds and then those drums come in and then it's this like i think that's more where my friend wanted to charge into battle is the drum part and yeah it all just works so well and is such a great song and and in a lot of ways feels very timeless to me um in a way mm-hmm. that's so mu- i love music from the 90s um, there's so much stuff you can listen to right away and be like, oh, I know what I can probably name the year and month this came out in because it is yeah. just so of its time. Uh, this one to me feels kind of out of time in a lot of ways. Uh, mm-hmm. It still kind of works. And being able to be used in an adult swim cartoon in like 2017 or something like that and it still be that effective and that emotional, I think is a testament to it because they just played the song <laughs> with the, you know, they didn't adapt it or do anything. It just it just plays really well um mm-hmm. and yeah that again that cash cover is an all-timer i think that's mm-hmm. maybe the best thing the best song that came out of for me the rick rubin stuff that he did and, and those uh what they called american i think was the name of the series or yeah yeah um mm-hmm. it's just it's it's amazing so that's uh, that's interesting to me that this is the the first version of the song or the the Johnny Cash version was the first version of the song that you guys had heard because I had grown up with the the Nine Inch Nails version mm. and then I remember hearing about oh Johnny Cash is covering a Nine Inch Nails song he's covering her and I was like whatever this is gonna be weird and then I heard it, I was like this is beautiful yeah. <laughs> I love it uh and I I classically hate country music yeah. but uh, I always give Johnny Cash a, a pass <laughs> um but yeah it's 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 so weird that they're like two versions of the song that I, I couldn't like get rid of one, you know, like they they both mean something a little bit different to me, mm-hmm. but I would regularly listen to both of them. They actually play the uh, Johnny Cash version on our local like rock radio station here in Oklahoma as well. So, yeah. but it fits, it fits yeah. there. Yeah, it's it's a it's a beautiful song. I I always loved how they kind of did a little shout out tribute parody and Walk Hard, uh, the Dewey Cox movie. Or later in his life, they have, like, a rap remix, and they just, like, overlay <laughs> this thing. And he, they kind of have it, like, alluded to, too, That's when he meets awesome. Eddie Vedder on stage. And John C. Riley's like, thank you, Eddie Vitor. <laughs> so I like that movie. It's pretty stupid. But. Yeah, it's a great song, and it's a great way to end the album, too. I mean, it it mm-hmm. is, if you want to look at the dark, depressing concept album side of it, it does feel like a sort of warm way to end which could be again that split interpretation could be viewed very differently um if you're if you're just hurling down that depression suicide zone then it's going to be like finally you're at the end and um you know embracing the suicide which is i think kind of Mm -hmm. the more popular interpretation but it also could be viewed and i think a lot of people hinge a lot of stuff on that alternate interpretation based off of some of the lyrics in this Mm -hmm. um in this uh in this song specifically I also love, uh, well, I don't love, but it's also interesting that this is the song that would you see if you look up, if you if you go to YouTube and type in Trent Reznor, like, freak out, all the videos that come up are from performances of this song. When they would play, <laughs> they would do sets, get to the end, he would sit there with just with a keyboard, 
to play it and people would not stop screaming stuff and he would lose his temper because he would get so mad that people weren't just listening and he'd like spike his keyboard or whatever. Um, so that was the first thing. We went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame one time in Cleveland and they had one of his keyboards there and the first thing I was like, I wonder if he spiked this keyboard during the first yeah. the first thing I thought. So. That's awesome. Well, one of the... Uh the last things on the album that you hear is um, the, the very end of this song. It has this intense, like, musical stab, and I, I can't quite place what that, like, sharp note is or whatever. But it's, like, very intense. Like, the song is so quiet. Any other, like, drums and, like, synths or whatever that kick in around that, uh, like, last chorus or whatever. But um, otherwise, it's, yeah, it's just kind of, like, comes out of nowhere and, and, uh, as an exclamation point onto the song and then uh, i saw on the the album like after that it's like another minute and and change of just like noise or wind or whatever <laughs> it is that plays so he's really indulging in that uh that runtime there might as well yeah and i i i dig that stuff for sure it, it's it's hard when you're just trying to listen to music it's cool from yeah. an artistic perspective to me um but it's yeah you you it, it makes and whenever you get to those parts like you've said multiple times too Steven it makes sense why he did scores because it definitely yeah. feels like mm-hmm. somebody who's who had scores in him back then and didn't really have a way to do it yet so yeah totally it's kind of coming out in this it's interesting almost to think back if he had gone down that path originally whether he did this or not right um, but we might have had like 90s film scores you know from Trent Reznor uh, and, like, and he kind of did that, like he, mm-hmm. but in, but not in the same way. So like he did yeah. Lost Highway soundtrack, a lot of stuff on there. He did. That's where the perfect okay. drug song came from. Was for the Lost Highway soundtrack for cool. David Lynch. Mm-hmm. But it was always like that. It was songs. Like I think he's credited on Natural Born Killers as well. Uh, but it's the same kind of thing. It's like songs. Um, and then he did sounds and like sound Ooh. effects for Quake, the video game. Oh, um, interesting. Okay. To, to the point where when you get the nail gun in the game, when you find ammunition, they're in crates that have the nine inch nails logo on the side. So oh, they did nice. that as oh, like crazy. a little tribute. Yeah. So he that's did fun. like weird mixing and that stuff too. So he dabbled in it, but I think it just okay. wasn't, we weren't re- like, people weren't really ready for maybe that kind of score or maybe he wasn't, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But it still felt so out of left field when you heard it in social network. Cause you're just like, man, this is some, just some great kind of jaunty music that yeah. <laughs> didn't know he could do. Um, okay, well, uh, let's let's just go ahead and wrap it up here. Um, Stephen, do you have any final thoughts on on this album? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, I don't think it's necessarily my thing, and I'd be more interested, since Davis talked about that this wouldn't be the album he would really start people off with either. Um, about, like, I, I, I'm interested, in, interested to try other ones now, but... Um, yeah, it was it was a fun experience. I mean, fun. It's really dark. It's it was. Uh, <laughs> you had a, blast. I had a blast. I had a blast for the podcast, rather. You know what I mean? Like it was. I was yeah. looking forward to talking to you guys about it, and it's always interesting. I think to have different levels of fans for something talk about it, and uh, have me that was kind of like new to all of this, and, and what I kind of thought of it as I was listening to it, um, because it's not something I would really gravitate towards overall. But uh, but overall, yeah, I was glad we did it, and. Um, there's some other songs in there that I might pick up now, you know, that I didn't, I hadn't heard before. So, and, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm also curious, you'd mentioned the different versions of hurt that he has, like the, the quiet one and everything. I saw that on the list on Spotify somewhere and I'm not really sure the difference. So now it just uh, kind of opens it up a little bit. I'll try a little bit more, you know, the hurt quiet version is uh, hurt with less wind. That's yeah. That's so 
Which is kind of there you go. doesn't make sense because <laughs> it's less quiet when you look at the amount of quiet that's in the other one. It's basically like a radio edit, right? I yeah, think. fair enough. Right. Yeah. yeah. So maybe it's more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more the one that I remember. Yeah. Um, David, what are your your thoughts on the album as a whole? Yeah, I mean, I definitely it'll always be a hold a special place for me. Like I said, it's one that I listened to a lot then, and then in the years since, didn't go back to as much because I. I, I found I clicked more with the fragile and then with teeth. Um, I honestly think, and this would be probably controversial amongst like diehard Nine Inch Nails people. I like, from a concept album perspective, I liked Year Zero more uh, in terms of I felt like they nailed that better. But is it even called Year Zero? Let me double check so I don't sound like an idiot. I feel like that is. Yeah, that that sounded <laughs> interesting when I read about that one online. Okay, I, yeah, I'm double checking, but I'm pretty sure it is. Um, yeah, it's fragile than with teeth in Year Zero. Yeah, so Year Zero is very comic booky, in the sense that it is a concept album. It's a step closer to like Coheed and Cambria, where it's a it's a it's a mm-hmm. fictional world. So it it's very very near future, but um, I feel like that one does a better job with painting a picture and not having to rely on like, well, I think maybe these drums represent this or like this riff might mean this. It's more like, yeah, we're singing about this thing. Uh, the cover has this like giant, like alien ghost hand coming out of the sky. And there's a track all about that. And it's this like extraterrestrial force that's interacted with the earth and like what that means to culture. It's also this like totalitarian government where religion uh, is reigns over everything else in terms of power. When the, the the album I had the CD in college and when you open it up um, it's one of those that's like on cardstock and it folds in on itself twice so you kind of unfold mm. it to get the liner notes in the CD out and on one half of it when it's unfolded it's an arm with a Bible and then the other half it's the other person's arm holding a submachine gun so it has this like all the <laughs> stuff America. with the <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> all the stuff with the art um, even like the CD itself when you would play it um, the heat from the CD player would heat up the ink on top of the label and it would change colors so they oh, did all cool. the stuff with the packaging too that like played a bigger part in this world um, so that there's like other things that mm-hmm. that they did down the line that they did first in Downward Spiral that I like more which is why I don't go back to Downward Spiral but it definitely it almost we brought up THX 1138 earlier it kind of reminds me of how I interact with that movie too I like it you know quite a bit and I think it was influential and it was yeah. a much more serious um introspective thing but then they made Star Wars and then you know Trent Reznor then he made yeah. these other albums that are okay more upbeat or whatever and are easier to get into and aren't necessarily you know as student filmy as the stuff that was at the beginning um but it still has great songs on it i think the first half is definitely like you know the hooky part of it um other than hurt obviously but yeah it's it's fun i I was really excited to re-listen to it and i'm really happy you guys had me on this was a ton of fun i loved talking about it and um all uh yeah i would say for sure steven listen Mm -hmm. to ghosts um since you like the yeah the soundtrack stuff and then if you want to get into more nine inch nails then um you know maybe like with teeth or year zero those would be more ones that those are way more accessible and cool uh have kind of a more fun edge to them for sure yeah year zero sounded really awesome online um especially given our current times and the 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 fact that he wrote that as like a it was like a we're talking about it's like a time travel thing from like 2022 yeah trying to be like hey this could get so much worse and it's like it's gotten so much worse he's a real prophet like (laughs) it had some controversy with conservatives because like one of the lead singles is called capital g and it's about bush Mm -hmm. and yeah 
or it's not, but it is. And yeah. <laughs> it's, it's weird now thinking that like that was the angry anthem uh, yeah. about him. And, you know, obviously Bush has his faults, but it's just a totally different landscape now and is much closer to that nightmare. <laughs> so Yeah, <laughs> scarily, yeah, it's really yeah. close. So it sounds kind of like, well, yeah, that album sounds really good as a soundtrack to our current, you know, yeah, development. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, overall, I, uh, I I think that uh, I felt, listening back to it, especially last night um, and reading the lyrics, I, I felt what Trent Reznor wanted me to feel. You know, it was mm-hmm. uh, kind of uncomfortable, like, going along with the lyrics and uh, and getting in that mindset of, of the protagonist. Um, I really appreciated the use of noise and distortion and, and sampling that was used on the album. And uh, overall, I enjoyed listening to it, uh, but lyrically, it's like, very difficult to listen to you know so yeah. i don't know if it's something that i would be on like regular rotation for me but it was a, a cool experience you know it's like a, a legendary album if if like you were saying david if people point to a nine inch nails album like what are the big ones that one's going to be on there the downward spiral mm-hmm. is going to be like number one yeah uh, on there but uh but yeah overall I, I thought it was pretty awesome cool yeah cool. um all right so Let's see. Uh, well, we're we're pretty close to three hours, uh, so well, let's just keep going. Uh, we're about halfway. Yeah. <laughs> theme parks. What are your favorites? <laughs> no, uh, David. Uh, do you want to go ahead and uh, and plug um, any of your social media, your your podcast, any anything? Yeah, sure. Um, I have a website. Uh, much like every other creative person who says they have a website, I'll follow it up with the sentence you hear next, which is I haven't updated it in a while. Uh, so hopkinsletters.com. Uh, you can go there if you want to see any of my lettering. Um, and yeah, like I said, I really need to update it. Part of that is waiting until things are out before I can post them anywhere. But uh, part of it yeah. is just not having enough time. Um, so there's stuff on there. I'm on Twitter at DC underscore Hopkins. Um, on Instagram, my Instagram and my Facebook are more like I post stuff on there, but it's more just kind of like things I like or family stuff mm-hmm. or kid pictures and whatnot. So if it's just wanting to follow what I'm doing, then Twitter would probably be the best. And then uh, Erie International has a Twitter as well at Erie INT, and we're on iTunes and all that jazz too. I like the idea that somebody hears that a letterer has a non like updated website, and it makes it sound like you've only got like three quarters of the alphabet posted on your website. (laughs) Someday I'm going to get to that uh, coveted (laughs) QST. I guess I skipped a letter even in that, so I'm going to have to get that R later. You were just testing people on the letters website. Yeah, I know what I'm doing, I promise. (laughs) And then uh, new episodes of Erie International come out weekly, right? Usually around the the weekend, beginning of the week, somewhere in there. Kind With of, three different time zones, weekends are easiest for us to find a time to record. So usually drop mm-hmm. Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. Um, Stephen, do you want to uh, go through our our contact stuff? I will. Um, so you can find us on um, your favorite podcast app and rate and review us. You can also email us at let's talk about stuff podcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at LTAS pod. You can follow me on Letterboxd and Twitter at Stephen Fisher twenty two. You can follow Brent on Twitter and Instagram at Brent Hibbard. And you can follow Reginald Vell Johnson on Twitter at <laughs> Rvel Johnson. We want to get that blue check mark, everybody. We got to do it. We got to do, do it. it for RVJ. Yeah, our Lord and Savior. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. So um, I believe that's that's it, right? Yeah, it's a good episode. Is there any, any other business? No, I think that's good. I, I liked. Uh, thank you for coming on, David. This was uh, yeah. a blast. Yeah, thank you guys. Getting to know your life. Yeah, absolutely. This is a lot of fun. Absolutely. All right. Well, until next time, 
Oh, that you're probably waiting for me to do. I get you. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah, I, I usually do that. Brent, I threw Brent off, and he did it. So until next time, I'm Steven. I'm Brent. And then and let's talk later. Oh yeah. There we go. Yeah, you can do. I'm yeah. David. If you I'm like. David. Bye. <laughs> we did so good the whole episode, and I just fucked it up right at the end. It's okay. And, no, it's fine. It's fine. Look, yeah. the internet held up. You know. That's, I know. That's the I was basic so, thing. so shocked. I don't know how it. Did. It actually threw me off. Right. <laughs> we haven't had to resync up to this point. Yeah. I'm not so used strange. to that, so I don't know what to do now. Uh, but yes, <laughs> let's talk later. David, this whole time you've been in like silhouette. I've been you... trying. It's because of my. <laughs> a couple times I've like leaned it's... forward to try to block the light, but then it I'm like good. not in front of my mic. <laughs> it but it's looks so like funny. A... It's, it's like somebody from Anonymous has been giving yeah. his testimonial <laughs> on the downward spiral. Um, it's probably my favorite album. <laughs> when you were talking earlier about like your your career path to a letterer and stuff, I was like, he's giving a lot of details for being in silhouette. I think they're going to be able to figure out who he is. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I noticed that about halfway through, and then I was like, right, maybe I could turn on my light, but I didn't want to get up and mess with it, so yeah, my bad. Well, I don't know if Brent can see this too, but I, I took a screenshot of this also because um, with the way you were sitting earlier and the way that the light from your window was bouncing off your microphone, it made it look like there was a tiny white microphone in front of you uh, <laughs> at, a, at about, like, the microphone maybe one inch and it has like a little stand on it. So I took a picture. <laughs> yeah, there it is. I don't know if you can see that, Brent. Um, but it looks like a tiny microphone, like a hot dog in front of you. And that's what I imagine you've been recording in this entire time. And it really, it really made things uh, pretty good for me. Yeah, send that, send that over to me yeah. when you can. I'd like to see that. <laughs> okay. There we go. Right, I'm good. And uh, what we like to do is use a sync word. That way everything matches up. Okay. And, you know, the, the internet will fuck us over later. But yeah. for now, mm -hmm. it will sync. Okay. And uh, I'll spend a ungodly amount of time trying to resync things later yeah. in the episode. Um, so I was trying to, to come up with something for the, the topic. Um, I spent a good week thinking about this. Oh, wow. I came up with nothing because <laughs> okay. um, I'm not dependable. I think that's pretty evident. Um, so I thought, you know what? Let's just use eerie oh, as right. the, the okay. sync word. Sweet. That sound good? All right, so eerie on three. One, two, three, eerie. eerie. Just one second. Here it goes. Uh oh. I spiked that puppy on the way out. <laughs> sure. Cat throw it up again. Sorry. Yeah, my uh, my cat was walking around and she looked like like she's closed in in this uh, this office with me and she looked like she was going to shit in the floor. I was like, mm, not today, Satan. Not today. <laughs> So, um, okay. Uh, 
What were we at? <laughs> Sounds like two Transformers fingering each other. L P A S.